Hello, welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I am your host, and this is my podcast. And my guest today is author Megan Griswold. So, Megan wrote an incredible book. It's called The Book of Help A Memoir in Remedies. Um, so, how do I best describe this book? Uh, to quote Megan, because I don't want to fuck this up. The Book of Help, A Memoir in Remedies is an unexpected memoir of one woman's journey, genuinely trying to become a more durable, loving, awake version of herself in the midst of dramatic, crazy, funny, marital and family problems. So basically in the book, Megan finds out that her husband is, uh, he did something, he, uh, he's up to no good. He did something uh, shitty and uh, forces her on this kind of journey of uh, self-exploration. And she tries every single different type of self-help modality. And that's why this book is right up my alley. And if it's right up my alley and you're listening to this podcast, it should be right up your alley as well. Because uh, what more could you want? It's got love, heartbreak, you know, a journey to in search to find oneself and build yourself back up again and remember who you are and you know, just, I don't know. Uh, I'm loving it and uh, I'm holding it right now. There's nothing like the feel of a new actual book uh, to hold a book in your hand in real life. It's, it's an incredible feeling. It's very old timey. It's romantic. Anyway, uh, for everything and anything Megan Griswold related, Meet up with her on her book tour. Go to MeganGriswold.com. She's on an extensive book tour. She's probably coming to your city. Uh, If not, uh, if she hasn't already, she'll be there. So what else is going on before I throw... Find Megan on Instagram, please. Uh, Find her at uh, Megan Eaton Griswold on Instagram. And uh, yeah, definitely go to her website because it's a beautiful website and... uh, link up with her while she's on her tour, MeganGriswold.com. And if you're not friends with me on Instagram, at Alexi Wasser, then what are we doing? What are we doing here? Um, Let's be friends immediately. You guys, this is the first time I've ever recorded a podcast intro with my boyfriend in the next room. You know what? Doesn't feel comfortable for me. Doesn't feel comfortable. I'll tell you why. Because I feel like when I do these, these, uh, I want to get over my fear and my discomfort. But I don't really have to. Why should I? This is my art form. The art of conversation, having my feelings, uh, you know, uh, spewing all my thoughts and feelings. And I feel like every time I do an intro and I record an intro, it's like a journal entry. So I'm trying to fight past the discomfort and learn how to coexist with another person. He can't even hear me or so he says. He's in another, you know, he's in like two rooms away. So I'm just letting you know, I'm giving you some texture and layers. Let me give you the backstory of what's really going on as I try to record this intro, as I record this intro. And I have so many things I want to tell you about. My birthday was on February 11th. I had a beautiful birthday, the most wonderful, incredible birthday I've ever had in my entire life. And uh, it's all because of my wonderful boyfriend. He... uh, Woke me up in the morning. He came over the night before, hid a hid a hid a present. He wanted to keep it a surprise. He hid it in my laundry room, so I had to hide in my bedroom while he hid the present. Um, you know, the next day, I woke up. I had a lovely wake up with my boyfriend. Went to take a birthday bath. I mean, I take a bath every day. I'm not disgusting. I like to luxuriate in a bathtub with Epsom salt or bubbles. And uh, when I came back into my bedroom, I picked up my cell phone because I'm addicted to it. 
I turned it over and there was like a cartoon like thing and on my phone screen and I thought that's weird. Why is why am I why is there a cartoon in the, why am I in the photo section of my of my phone? Oh my god, am I on my boyfriend's phone by accident? Oh shit, he's going to think I'm going through his phone. Well, what had in fact happened was he's an animation director and uh, he's a master at making gifs. And what he had done was he airdropped a gif of me, a birthday gif of me, Alexi, for my birthday. And he, had, you know, he airdropped it onto my phone. So I wasn't going through his phone. It was my phone. I, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I pressed play. I watched my 11 second gif. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Immediately posted to my Instagram. Freaked the fuck out. What a great gif. We could have left it at that. No, there was more. Then he made coffee and surprised me with a beautiful birthday cake from Sweet Lady Jane, my favorite, uh, my favorite place to get cakes. Uh, they have a classic. It's, 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 they have the classic LA birthday cake at Sweet Lady Jane. Everybody in Los Angeles uh, gets the berry cake. It's a berry cream cake. It's standard LA birthday cake situation. Oh my god! I think he's coming out of the kitchen. What's he doing? What are you doing? Can you hear me? I'm panicking. Anyway, let's get back on track here. Uh, okay, so I got my birthday cake. I blow out the candles, living my life, having a great birthday. Then the surprise. He places a surprise that he'd been hiding uh, in the laundry room, in the living room, and says, "I can go in the living room now. I can see my surprise." And it is a cheese plant. A cheese plant or a Swiss cheese plant is this very uh, cool, green, chic, minimalist plant that I've had my eye on for ages because uh, I feel like everybody on Instagram uh, and in the world at large uh, has a cool plant in their corner of their uh, hardwood floor apartment or house. And I have no plants anywhere to be found in my, in my home. So now I do. And I've been wanting one so badly. So, you know, the point is he listens, he paid attention, he got me a plant, he surprised me. So we're talking gif, birthday cake, plant, then tells me to pack a bag. We pack a bag. I have no idea where we're going. I'm like, can we stop at Starbucks before? He's like, well, I thought we would have breakfast in Malibu first. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you had me at Malibu. I can't believe it. I love Malibu. I love taking Sunset, the long drive down Sunset to the Pacific Coast Highway. Um... We go and have breakfast at the Malibu Pier. There are two restaurants at the Malibu Pier. We went to the one closer closer to the ocean, um, have a lovely breakfast, and then we proceed to drive two hours somewhere. I have no idea where. Where are we going? I don't know. All I knew was I was supposed to pack jeans, warm clothing, a bathing suit, and, you know, whatever. Just pack for a night. We get to where we're going. We went to a place called Los Alamos at this really lovely, gorgeous um, new, it's, they call it a motel. I would call it a hotel, but they call it a motel. It's called the Skyview Motel in Los Alamos, which is kind of near Santa Barbara. And, uh, it was lovely. There were horses and we rented, we took bikes out. They had bikes on the property and, uh, it was just like super cute. And, and they were doing an Abercrombie shoot, uh, which was kind of annoying because they're in our way. But I was like, wow, this place must be really cool. They're doing like a Milk Studios is uh, is producing a an Amber, Abercrombie shoot on the premises. Like you know, they mean business. They're not fucking around. This place is photo worthy. So we had a lovely time. 
we, uh, you know, we watched Vanderpump Rules as the, as the night, as, as the day turned into night, because I love Vanderpump Rules. And uh, it was just a very romantic, lovely trip. We had a fireplace in the bedroom, in the hotel room. Next morning, had breakfast, took a drive to, uh, to a place called Los Olivos. Am I saying that right? We did wine tasting. We visited a friend of mine who just saw me that, that I was posting that area on Instagram and she was like, I'm five minutes away. And I was like, what? I didn't even know this place existed. And now it turns out I have friends who live here. So we, you know, we, we visit her and she has horses and we feed the chickens and the roosters and the cows and the horses. And I, I mean, I love horses. So I pet some horses. It was great. And uh, then we drove to a place called Solvang, which was recently featured in the in most recent episode of uh, Vanderpump Rules, where all the girls take a PJ, which I had no idea stood for private jet. Lala gets all the girls together to go to Solving, which is totally bizarre. I've never heard of Solving. I don't know why all the girls in the show were so excited to go there because it's like, who cares? I mean, I was happy to go there because we're in wine tasting town, and but we did a bunch of things. But who's just trying to take a private jet, a 20-minute private jet ride from West Hollywood to Solving, California? It just makes no sense. But anyway... So I just end up, I happen to be just, I have my finger on the pulse or my boyfriend does. And, uh, you know, we end up in solving too, just a day after that episode of Vanderpump Rules premiered. Anyway, uh, sleepily, we drove back home, stopped at McDonald's, which was a treat for me because I was like, I really want some French fries and an apple pie. Drove back home. Um, yeah. Incredible. And then... Valentine's Day rolls around. So I thought for Valentine's Day, oh my God, my, you know, my boyfriend does so many nice things for me. I want to do something nice for him. So uh, we had another lovely day. I got him flowers because why shouldn't men get flowers sometimes? I got him a man bouquet. He got me a beautiful bouquet of roses and uh, we got a couple's massage. Um, I took him out to lunch. I got him a couple's massage and uh, I wish I could do more. I should do more. But, uh, and then I made him dinner. I'm, I'm, I was telling this to like a Lyft driver the other day. I was, you know, he was like, oh, what'd you do for Valentine's Day? And I mentioned that I cooked for the boyfriend. And I said, uh, I said, I had no idea that like, you know, I've only recently started cooking because I think my boyfriend had said something like, you know, I mentioned the possibility of me cooking for him. And I went, oh, wow. Is that something that people do? Like, should I do that? And my Lyft driver was like, Oh my God, yes. That's, you know, it's a great thing to be able to do. So, and I actually really enjoy cooking. So I did that and it makes me feel uh, like an old timey woman. I feel like, uh, I just feel, I don't know, it's a weird, powerful feeling. Plus it's a cool thing to know. I like to eat. So, uh, you know, I made steak and rice and why do I have to tell you these details? Boring. Anyway. Uh, so that was, I had a lovely birthday, a lovely Valentine's Day. Anyway, all that aside, I'm continuing to wean off Zoloft. I'm two weeks weaning off Zoloft. I do feel a little bit crazy. I feel like uh, a lightness in my chest. And uh, in two more weeks, I should be fully off it. But uh, it is making me feel a little bit loopy. That is for damn sure. And... uh, and of course, I get to give you all the pertinent podcast info if you like this podcast. If you like the Love Alexi podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment. I know I say it every week, but uh, I say it because I mean it. Because if you rate the show, leave a comment and uh, tell everyone you know and subscribe, uh, it helps me grow the show. And, uh, and that makes me very, very happy. 
We should definitely be friends on Instagram at Alexi Wasser. And the Love Alexi podcast is a listener-supported show. Uh, It's an independent podcast. So if you want to donate to the show uh, and be a supporter, feel free to do so. Make a donation via Venmo at Alexi Wasser. And uh, always send any and all emails to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. If, uh, if you have a suggestion, a guest suggestion, uh, if you want to advertise on the show, if uh, you just want to tell me how you're feeling and what you're going through, fantastic. I'll read all of those emails. I might even read uh, one of your emotional uh, emails asking me a question or in need of advice on a future episode of the Love Alexi podcast where I dedicate the entire show to reading your emails. So yeah, surprise me. I love emails. All that aside... Please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with author of The Book of Help, A Memoir and Remedies, Megan Griswold. Wherever is the coziest for you? Like, oh. Coziest is this little situation, too. Okay. Get cozy. Um, all right. They sent me like a day in advance. Oh, we're we're, we're well, fully podcasting. Are you okay with that? Yeah, totally. Okay, good. Because um, I want like as much time with you as possible. So they sent... They sent me this book like a day before. They didn't send it. And then they sent me two, but like less than 24 hours before you were supposed to come on the podcast. So last night I was, I was reading it and now I'm like hooked. And now this podcast is so meaningful to me. I know I'm saying a lot of stuff. I'm like highly caffeinated. But because, and I was just saying this on my Insta stories, if there's ever, if I should ever have an author on my podcast that I resonate with so much... It's you because like diving, I'm like, I'm like folding, uh, I'm like dog earing pages and it's like all of the things you did on your search for whatever, we'll talk about what, you know, everything because I feel like I've done all these things and my whole life is dedicated to searching. So I'm loving your book. Well, I'm not done with it. Long story longer. I'm completely obsessed with it and it's... Yeah, oh, I'm like you. underlining Are things. Are you still in child, younger days? Uh, I think I'm still younger days. Uh, but I do have quotes. I'm, I'm feeling like Oprah. I want to like read quotes from your book throughout the podcast. <laughs> Tell me everything. Who are you? Where did you come from? And, and what well, is, how did this we, book come got about? My name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I'm originally from Southern Southern California. I currently, excuse me, I'm sipping my favorite flavor of grape kombucha. Oh wow! And um, I'm originally from Southern California, but I live in Wyoming in a yurt. Um, you do? I do. How did you end up in a yurt? And how did you end I up in a yurt? I used to be a mountain guide. So okay. um, a lot of people who guided for the school that I worked for, or a mountain instructor, whatever you want to call it, kind of ended up in that zone of Wyoming. So I'm in the middle of Teton National Park in a little inholding with 13 other yurts. Um, what is a yurt exactly? It's a round Mongolian hut. And how much... So, is going Mine's on a very there. pretty one. Yeah, eight hundred pounds of marble. Like it's not a normal yurt. I thought it was funny to like juxtapose like a heavy material with a a uh, structure that was meant for a nomadic people. Yeah, it's like a glam yurt. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, people use that horrible phrase glamping. Yeah, but this is like yeah, it's so, so annoying. Yeah, there's anything I say camperous, sort of campy. Gah. But um, and then I so I was raised in Southern California with this family that was, you know, friendly to, I suppose, new age culture. So when I was born, I was assigned a Christian science practitioner. Um, so Christian scientists, they're not Scientologists. They're the ones that don't go to doctors, Christian scientists. Yeah. And then by age seven, I asked Santa for my first meditation mantra for Christmas and got one. And then by 12, I was taking weekend workshops on personal growth. What was the first book? 
that you're asking for. And keep this mic by your mouth so I don't miss any gold. Oh, wait. What was the first book I was the, asking the, the, the first the, mantra. Oh, what was, well, oh, you can't tell me though, probably. Well, it's in the... It's in it's in the it's book. In the Save book. it for okay. Sorry, so I, well, that's okay. Normally, I would have read the book. No, dude, I blame your publicist for this. No, I, I'm geez, upset at that. Yeah. So the point is, and it was exposed to me at a young age. And um, so the book I've read, I mean, the book I've written is every. Well, it's not. And there's 200 or so things that I suppose if I count, I've tried. But it wasn't like an experiment was organic to my life. And then I was married, and my husband was arrested for soliciting a prostitute who's an undercover cop. And so my response, kind of when you're in pain or in a challenge, is to turn to what you know. So I knew to sort of dive into things that I thought might help or be of use to him, to me, to whatever, as we navigated this terrain in our marriage, which, you know, you don't you find out that little bit at the beginning and then kind of work back to it. So every chapter is written as a therapy, but it really is more reads like a novel, I suppose, in terms of... Um, you know, it could be water fasting, it could be Hakomi therapy. Eventually I became an acupuncturist around the time of that whole excitement. So um excitement, finding out <laughs> this about your husband. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. So um anyway, every chapter is a therapy purpose, cost, equipment needed, humiliation factor. That's my favorite. Like assessing whether when you're doing this one therapy, how humiliating it is. You know, yeah. whether it required nudity or art supplies or this, that, or the other thing. Nudity or art supplies. <laughs> oh my god, I remember one time. <laughs> I mean, one time I, I saw a shaman. I think I'd seen the same shaman. Her name was, I can remember, whatever her name was. It was a crazy name, a wild, interesting name. And I went to her three times, and I think it was like $350 a pop. Uh-huh. It was someone around here? Around like to them in person? Eagle Woman. Her name was uh-huh. Eagle Woman. Of course it was. Of course it was. And it was like upstairs, at like wherever it was, of this yoga center, and I'm thinking now, like, if I had $400 just casual cash to spend, mm-hmm. everything must have been pretty much okay. I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily emotionally, mm-hmm. but but I went to her, like, three times, and I remember, uh, yeah, it was pretty humiliating. I remember one time. Was it? Why? It was humiliating because I was just so, and I usually don't have a problem with this, but I was just so raw with a stranger. Uh-huh. And then I remember the third time I went to her, I was just in so much pain. I was so suffering, so spiraling, out of control, always overthinking all these, uh, about whatever I was going through, always relationship. Stuff, stuff, you know, mm-hmm, as we do. I think you and I do. I don't know, I think everybody does it, I which is mostly, I think that's we just talk about it. Well, I think, um, well, this is my personal theory. I think that the things we often like least about ourselves actually most endear us to one another. And it's part of the point of my writing the book is I tried to sort of out what I think was the sort of most ridiculous, the worst, this in, in hopes that if I'm kind of sharing what you know a lens that someone might find compassion for. They might actually be nice, nicer to the that part of themselves that they don't. Like there's a chapter in there about, you know, stalking an old ex in the bushes or whatever. And, yeah. you know, people will come up to me if I read that one aloud and they're like, you know. You I, know do, I do that too. I, I recorded that one for NPR and um, when they were still doing commentaries. And I remember they were like, well, you know, we don't want to make fun of stalking. I'm like, I'm sure like, you know, half the reporters on the national desk have like, hid in the bushes or done some weird drive-by of an ex. So yes. let's not pretend that just because you're like a fancy reporter that you haven't actually done that. Yeah. So let's be real. Yeah. So, um, and I think part of all of that is to feel kind of embarrassed or exposed or vulnerable, whether it's some experiment that you're trying where, you know, like if you go to those groups or some kind of encounter thing <sighs> where you go around in a sharing circle, like what brings you here and what, you know, like the, that. there's that whole yes. thing. I did a trailer actually for a little short film for the book to try to physicalize what the things were in the book. Yeah. And one of them was this stick 
smashing exercise. And I had had to do it in a silent retreat by myself in the middle of Wyoming like years ago now. And when I had to reenact it, it was funny because the photographer had read the book. So she was standing there and I had sort of stamped out this place that I was going to reenact this thing that's in the video. And um, But she had a, a, a photo assistant with her that had you know, the drones and this movable camera. So right before I'd sort of stamped out this area and gathered up my stick and was going to reenact this crazy fit, I guess, that I'd been instructed to do. Um, she, I remember she was standing there with the camera and she goes, she looks at the assistant and she goes, oh, I probably probably should have told you more about the book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what was fun for me was I remember it being so... Uh, embarrassing to do it just by myself like that you can be embarrassed with only yourself watching like it's true and to go that many years and now to have to do it not just in front of myself but in front of two other people I could have cared like I just was like you know just I went absolutely berserk and it happened to be where in this part of the national park where tourists are driving by and you know my hands are getting bloody from like smashing these sticks and jumping around I mean the point is it to say and that's not the point of the book is go smashing sticks or whatever is that even in some of these experiments you can find that you get a bit more comfortable with yourself yeah you know so it's sort of nice to look back and go hey it's no big deal I could do that all day in front of people and not be embarrassed and you free yourself you free yourself of the shame because you get it out of your system and then you feel less alone or you help other people feel less alone because you're I like, I did so. that too. That's my whole life. That's what I feel like this podcast is about. Any yeah. writing I've ever done has always been like, oh my God, I'm going to write about the thing that like when I had a blog a long time ago, whenever I would press like publish, if I was terrified to press publish, I knew it was a good post mm-hmm. or it was something worthwhile because yeah, because it was so scary. Like, oh my God, I'm going to reveal that. But the shaman thing that I did, I remember the third time I saw the shaman she was like, oh my God, you're, I've made your aura purple now. It's gone from black to purple. She like, said the words, I, I made your aura or, purple. I'm not, this is not verbatim, but the gist of it was at the end of the third session, you know, I was just like, I, I think I was like really spiraling over this relationship that just felt mm-hmm. like so intense. Uh-oh. Oh boy. <laughs> we got great. Oh no. Oh my God. Oh no. Are you okay? Let me, kombucha. Do you want a tissue? Stuff. No, I think we got it. Are you okay? You didn't even get it on your look, blouse. We had a, look, okay, had you a look beautiful. Episode. We just had a kombucha mishap, <laughs> crisis averted. <laughs> Let me finish my shaman story. Okay. Yeah, go on with the shaman. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I'm trying Very to steal fitting. my thunder. <laughs> yeah, and then it's kombucha, though. Oh, God. Perfect. Uh, there are no accidents. Oh, I mean, go on. Okay. So oh, so then uh, at red, the end, I was, what was her name? Uh, Eagle, Woman. Eagle Woman. She's like, oh, you know, you're, you came in, your aura was black, and now it's purple. Mm-hmm. But I felt like nothing. I'd been like crying, weeping, talking about daddy issues, just weeping, trying to visualize like white light protecting me, all the stuff. You know, she's burning whatever she's burning, throwing holy water in my face, whatever, speaking in tongue, tongues. Uh, and then I left there and I remember pulling over to Starbucks because I just still felt so rattled. I'm like, I just spent $400 on this mm-hmm. shaman experience. I pulled over, called her up and I was like, hi, can I, uh, can you get Eagle Woman on the phone for me, please? Uh, it's Lexi Wasser. And I just yelled at her because I was like, I was like, you told me my shaman is purple. I, my, uh, my aura is purple. It doesn't feel purple. Like I just, uh, and I just remember being so embarrassed. Like I was just so uh, searching, not finding, and then yelling at the shaman. Right. <laughs> well, I think a lot of those, here's my thing. Pulled over is, on the side of the road. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there exploring and teaching, not necessarily with a tremendous amount of training. And so I think part of why I write or what I'm also interested in is sort of 
contributing to the conversation around how do you sort of assess who's actually got it going on in a real way and who's just kind of tinkering, you know, and some people are weirdly comfortable assuming a certain kind of spiritual authority. It's, it's quite... It's like sociopath vibes. Well, I mean, even just... Uh, even when I was in acupuncture school, you know, we learned how to um, do point location where you're going to needle people and was considered very serious. And we were corrected with the head of a... Within the head of a pin... A pen, really not a pen, but a pen. Like, it's not right here, it's right there. And um, we weren't allowed to needle a point until we had done years of training and we practiced not even on human beings. You weren't allowed to do it on a live point. You had to do it on the top of the knee, a bagel, or an orange. You know, Because it was kind of, if you actually, you're asking this point to do something, you want it to be real. And um, so I had a certain amount of, Oh, a lot of respect for it. And I remember being with other acupuncture students at other schools. And I'm not saying my school was perfect or anything, but people would say, because you're measuring the body and where is the scapula in here and go over a second, you know, to get on the back or whatever place you are. And I remember there was this other classmate and he was like, well, I like to find the names of the points are like stomach 36 or liver, whatever. He was like, I like to find stomach 36 right here. I'm like, well, you might like to find it there, but you know, we have to be precise. Yeah. So sometimes I think in these spiritual pursuits, you can have people that are creative and excited, but not necessarily expert. And I find the ones that are actually the most um, accomplished are usually the most humble. And oh, that's a good point. Um, don't. In fact, if someone uses the word healer, it's usually I'm interested in running in the other direction. I think the people who are really good at it aren't going to even say that word. Oh you know, God. they'll just say that they've been trained to do this thing or that they have a certain gift. You know, and they don't go around kind of shouting it from the mountaintops. You know, if they have a lot of ego, like I'm usually not real interested. And you'll find a lot of that. Or there's just people who are very good at, um, you know, marketing themselves, which is a very separate skill than what they're able to do. Could they be good at what they do, but good at marketing themselves? I think so. I think it's possible to have two. I just think kind of figuring out how do you assess what's what about... I mean, I don't think one... Like I remember, you know, I had a very beautiful... A business card when I was an acupuncturist and I knew this classmate who was like um, you know uh, I don't like to go anyone who has a really pretty card because I think that means it's not. I was like you're an idiot like just because you've thought about one thing and you've thought about the other that yeah. could mean you're just detail oriented I'm saying more when you know there's more flash over substance you kind of have to make sure and I think you just sort of trust your gut when you talk to them whether yeah. it was ego woman or whoever like that you yeah. got a sense of that she really knew what she was doing and she touched some place in you or she didn't, and you know, I don't know. I think I don't know. Now that I'm revisiting that, maybe Eagle Woman is all right. I was just really wound up and just really in a dark mm-hmm. spot. But uh, yeah, it is scary sometimes. You have to be careful about who you put yourself, whose hands you put yourself into, because I do meet people who I'm like, oh God, you're so into. They're into playing God. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just like. Well, the, that's what the I mean. Tra- oh, yeah, no, totally yeah. comfortable with a certain kind of authority, and also people usually go searching. When they're in a challenging time, and so really you're vulnerable. vulnerable at that time. Yeah. So I think it's a good thing to do if you're really in a spot and sort of assessing whether that's a therapist or some kind of body worker. If you're really in a jam, to like bring a friend to kind of assess with oh, wow. you, you know, so you can like get to meet them both. And also, you know, like whether you're interviewing a therapist or anything else, you're allowed to ask, "Hey, what's your bias? Like, what's your training? What What do you think is the ideal outcome?" Yeah. You know, but, but I think sometimes we think we're not 
like allowed to ask those questions or we're not taught what are those questions that you can ask. Yeah. You know? Um I want to hear the story without giving away everything in the book, but it's uh where are you at now? Are you dating anybody? Are you married? You're living in this well, fashionable live- <laughs> yurt? Well, actually, um yeah, I'm living in a yurt and I did it after sort of after the book, I did um I decided to do this sort of two two and a half year boycott of Men, like legit. You <laughs> like, did? I did. I did. It was kind of awesome. And not because there are no great men out there, just because I decided I need to sort of reset how I was thinking in every great thing in terms of sort of the book and my work really kind of blossomed in that. Is life better without time. dating and a man, do you think? Because no. I suffer the most when I'm in a relationship and when I'm dating because I have to f- deal with all my internal stuff. Well, I decided that I had sort of had this romantic notion that sort of once I ended up in this per, like ideal love relationship, then suddenly I would blossom professionally. And at some point I just decided that that was not how it was going to go down for me and that I might as well just remove myself until it was clear I was going to make different kinds of choices. So I did a really hard... I had just gone out of this ridiculous relationship. And so I... The one with op- your husband or another one? A different after, one. A different one after that. Yeah, so okay. things move, move along there. And um, it takes it. a, a lot of decades. It goes from basically birth, so you start the night of the arrest, and then we go back to, um, you know, whatever, very little up yeah. till not very long ago. So it it moves it moves along. But all I was going to say is, so I um, I'm living at this yurt park and um, during my boycott, and um, my the loveliest neighbor of mine who we'd been friends for a couple of years, like adorable. Yeah. Um, he came to my literal back door and told me he wanted me to know, and we'd never flirted. That means two and a half years. I didn't have one romantic flirt text, like nothing. Yeah. I'm talking like real. And, um, uh, anyway, so, and he knew that I had this boycott and um, just as friends, just chatting in the bathhouse. We share, a, the whole community shares this funky bathhouse. And he said he wanted me to know he was available to be my yurt park boyfriend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, I'm quite extroverted and verbal, but I'm still, whether awkward, I was like standing by my bookshelves. Like, ah! I wanted to say is like, um, can I offer you a magazine? Oh, like, God. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> when was this? This was recently? This was a few months ago. What'd yeah. you say? Well, I didn't. I offered the magazine, and then yeah. I said, "Can I make you a cup of coffee?" And then um, we spent the day together. We have a creek behind. We spent the day at the swimming hole. That's romantic and nice. <laughs> it was very sweet. Yeah, and um, yeah, we've been dating. I suppose it's dating, and we're in neighboring yurts for the first time in two and a half years. Yes, and he had done some kind of a boycott as well. Really, for like a year, which I liked also. But he <laughs> was like, at some point, he was like, "I thought you were so extroverted. This would have." I mean, he had to go on a lot of dates. Oh, wow. You know, before it got a little more romantic. What happened? Like, uh, what did you learn about your... I mean... In that two and a half years? Well, in the two and a half years, but also like... Or or in the book, like with your husband, like you find out that he was soliciting a prostitute. One. So I find out one. Okay. Just tell me. Just tell me everything. Just tell me everything. Everything you can. And then the next relationship and and what you think you're part of in all of it was and what you learned in this whole journey. Well, I think partly with him, what I I wanted to tell in that story is that, you know, he's an absolutely lovely human being. And even lovely human beings have shadow stuff going on. And so it's certainly not, the book is not about throwing um, 
my husband, former husband, like under the bus in any way. It's more to talk about how do you navigate questions of, you know, fidelity, if you believe in marriage and how, you know, how do you just sort of return to yourself and ask, you know, what, what, what's my part in this? What's not my part in this? You know, I think when you get married, you decide, uh, that you pick this boat and they pick this boat and you're in this boat together and you sort of commit to, not just sort of commit, commit to navigating the waters that your spouse may find themselves in or you may find themselves in. But at some point it's a little tricky sort of trying to figure out whether you're in their waters or your waters or collective waters. And um, so... In my case, the way I was raised was to almost assume too much responsibility for what's going on with the other person, like almost a reverse narcissism. Like, oh, what it's a reverse else? narcissism. You know, what, well, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, well, just something like you're overtaking responsibility for something that might be somebody else's territory. I think that's what, what women do that a lot, yeah, though. A we lot. go, oh, it must be my. What did I do? What did oh, I no, do? What like, did I do? What yeah. I do? Instead of at some point, you have to sit with yourself and decide. You know, how do I want to? spend my time and how much, what do I sense in my, well, obviously there's a betrayal in this story. I mean, I certainly can say that and a sense of experience of betrayal. And um, when you've had an experience of betrayal, I think you get a little funny around knowing in your gut, knowing how to relate to your gut. Like, had you had information beforehand? Because I always say, oh, the wife always knows this, or the wife always knows that. I don't actually think that's true. Really? I think that um, you can have a gut sense about something, but let's just say it's like a traffic light. You don't know if it's a, or a flag at the beach. You don't know if it's a, a red flag. You don't know if it's a yellow flag, an orange flag, a green flag. You might feel a flag, like something that's off, but you can think, oh, well, maybe that's just something they need to sort of work on. God. You don't know how big a shadow or or sort of something they might be privately wrestling with. Yeah. You know oh, what I God, mean? I so terrified. I think there's... Some... <laughs> this is making me want to get out of my relationship immediately. <laughs> no. I I'm think... so filled with fear. Well, but I, but then I think the, the question is to sort of... I, you probably know. You'd probably know. Make up your mind. No, but no, the, I'm you saying you probably know. know in yourself about your own gut. My own gut. About what it's like to be in the presence of the other person. So you won't know the exact details of some somebody's situation, but you can say, hey, does this feel, am I feeling good? Am I feeling connected? When I ask am myself. I, yes. Yeah. With well, this person. Because, well, I, I did an EM, EMDR session for yeah, the first time. Yeah, there's lots of EMDR in there. I know. I saw them on the list. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, me too. All this stuff. <laughs> oh God. I like jumped into the ocean. I went to a Neil Strauss rebirthing, mm-hmm. jumping in the ocean thing, baptism thing. That was humiliating because I had to like yell in front of strangers like my... My, what's fucked up about me? I had to yell, uh, I get my self-worth from the attention I receive from men. And then I dunk in the water and then I ran out of the ocean and having to say like my new programming, which is I I dictate my own self-worth or something or my, my self-worth comes from me. And it was like in front of all these like passers-by, like cool teenagers out at the beach. And that was embarrassing and that didn't make me feel better. But anyway, it distracted me. Um, but I did an EMDR session and what I get so confused about is I believe I have really good intuition, but I also project a ton on another person mm-hmm. because of my trauma. Like I, 
all these words are so boring to me. I've been talking about feelings and all this stuff for such a long time that it gets like, it's so boring after a while to me about my own bullshit. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But because I, my dad was sinister or because I've, you know, I cheated in the past like 12 years ago and my dad's misogynist, all these things. I just think men hate women in my, in my bones. I think men hate women. He's up to something sinister. And I'm like, is that my intuition or my projecting from my trauma? Because when I'm with, and this is even about my boyfriend, but I guess it is when I'm with him though, I'm like, I feel real calm. I'm really happy. I'm like, this is a really good guy. Mm -hmm. Alexi, when you're on your own and you're panicking and having mind spirals Mm -hmm. about like, you know, based in all this fear and too much time on your hands and not paying attention to your own life. Remember this moment of actually being with him with his arms around you, feeling so safe and cozy and knowing he's a good person. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Well, that's what I mean a bit. Like on the one hand, I know I'm saying the idea that you don't always know everything. Like on the other, what I was going to say is that once something happens that feels like a betrayal, um, I think it's understandable, you still have an opportunity. It doesn't completely discount everything your gut. It doesn't mean your gut was completely off. It just means, I think when you're in situations like that, I think it's important to say, you know, a lot's going on right now. And when you think a lot's going on, that you have to go even faster. And I think when a lot's going on, it's more important to try to go slowly and slow everything down and just stay in the, you know, try to be as much in the present moment as any of us can. Yeah. And really pay attention to how it feels to be in the presence with this person and to not jump in the future. I mean, I think the brain has a tendency to generalize. Like, it just wants us to stay in whatever status quo, whatever status quo looks like, whether... So if it has to fire anxious thoughts... Oh, my God, you guys, the power just went out. It's it's a rainy day in Tinseltown, (laughs) and uh, the power... How romantic. I have a candle lit. But does this still work? Yeah, you still have a This still works. It's a battery. Battery. Oh, I see. Oh, my God. Um, Anyway, keep going. I told you those. It was... I drove here in a deluge. No, it was crazy. That's why I knew. I was like... Anyway, the brain has a tendency to generalize because it wants to keep you both safe and familiar in what you know. So say you've had an accident with a a car that's red. It'll say, hey, let's be worried about cars. And then it'll say, and specifically red cars. And the brain can say, well, red looks a lot like blue cars. Let's be worried about red and blue cars. Like that's not necessarily even a great thought. It's that your, your brain actually fires thoughts to keep you doing what you've known how to do in the past, right? So, so you have to sort of figure out which part of this is just my brain generalizing, like all men are like this or all people are like this, and what part of it is like, hey, um, I'm going to stick with the experience I'm having and try to pay more attention to that, I suppose, than you know, any conjecture I might have about the future. So if little me and my relationship with my dad or my mom, the two, oh, the oh, lights, are, back on. lights are back on, you guys. And let there be light. Oh, my goodness. If, if in my upbringing... Yeah, and my entire relationship with my father was like was tons of fighting and arguing and trauma and intense like chaos. That's my status quo for a relationship with a man because that's my primary caregiver. So if I want to have my status quo met, it means I'm always needing to be in turmoil or drama or like I don't know. And have you done a bunch of EMDR? Just one. Do you like? Did you like EMDR? I love. I've done tons. I've done like hours and hours and hours. And you like it? Well, I think it's super useful. Tell me why. That's I liked it too. I want to do it a ton more. Well, I've done it in a style with a kind of therapy that's called Hakomi therapy, which is a little bit more body centered. So there's not a ton of talking, and especially if you're a verbal person, as I am, yeah. I I like I'm biased towards kinds of work um, that is more in your 
body that you can't talk your way through to be clever or fast or talk around things. Yeah. So um, the kind I've done, it doesn't really matter what you start with. The the event, you know, that you pick to sort of work with. Do people know? I mean, EMDR is something called eye movement desensitization and reprogramming where you are... Um, doing bilateral stimulation either through light or vibration or tapping to um, con- make contact with a different part of your brain that helps take things that are stuck in your um, short-term memory and living as if they're really happening and help file them into long-term storage. And so it does things in your brain like release acetylcholine. And once you... So it, they sort of they do it on Vietnam vets a lot, different things like that, or, or that's one of the places they started. So somehow with this tapping that's bilateral or light or vibration, it helps bring up an old memory that can be traumatic. You don't want it to be too traumatic. You want it to be like an upsetting thing. And then once this sort of set starts, whether you have headphones on or vibrating paddles, your brain will start almost doing a pickup stitch or a dot-to-dot game of memories and felt experience that you've been sort of been stuck in one place and after the session, and it's not even during that 50 minutes or whatever it is, over the next 72 hours or something, it helps let the brain kind of settle. So something, and then the way I've done it is that you start, if I've had something that's really upsetting, we would turn off the the machine for a minute and let just the body has a, a minute to catch up and it goes maybe through, it makes some sounds, or you can cry, or you have some shaking, you know, something like that. And then I'd start another set and let it, you know, go again. So whatever a disturbing event or memory. But it, you might watch your brain sort of jumps through lots of memories. Like the one you started with, and then something when you were a little kid, and then something else where you got like once I was like stuck, almost drowned. You know, just things that you sort of um, can hiccup on. Yeah. So I found, I noticed certain habits that I had subsided almost immediately after doing particularly useful sessions. So like I, I've probably overdone it. Than I need to get into it even more because, yeah. And I think you want to be with someone who's really experienced and um, that you have some kind of relationship with that's separate from just like walking into some random EMDR. Oh, I had an EMDR therapist on my podcast and yeah, her name's Janelle Nelson. And she, we did a session before we did the podcast. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, let's start with the thing. And she made me do a trauma timeline. But then all my examples of things I want to work on were all a 10. They're all at a Yeah, a, so you have to find one that's about a 7. She was at a 7. But then it's interesting. It all led back to, to the other things anyway. I couldn't believe everything was so connected. That's like, right. We tried to do a work thing, but it all led to like needing daddy's love, you know, right. like oh, whatever that's the memory was. Yeah. Well, there's also EMDR resource building protocols, which I think are helpful, which maybe you could, I'm not telling you. To no, I love it. One, um, which are kind of that same way that they'll have athletes run through um, an ideal performance. So I've done EMDR where you picture your ideal, most nourishing place. So in my case, having spent a lot of time in the outdoors, it's a particular place in the Wind River Range in Wyoming or in this particular river crossing. I don't know why it's often rivers, but somewhere in the North Cascades. And you can embed positively with the headphones on and the pallets or whatever a certain kind of your best, most durable self experience in the same way you can help kind of release from your memory the more agitated, traumatic memories. So you could actually use it in reverse. 
Yeah. Just sort of if you feel like you're like, hey, all mine run too hot. They're all too many tens. Yeah. You could do a few resource, they call it resource, that's what I've called it, resource building protocols. Oh, that's so interesting because have you ever done any of that free and native work of hypnotherapy where you Just can- a little little I'm not really this wasn't hypnotherapy this is just EMD No work. yeah but yeah, but it's no. interesting she makes you run through uh, I don't know remember something a better way or something but I had a hard time with that Right revisionisty kind of history Yeah exactly but I felt like I really liked the science of EMDR I really liked that like and it seemed to work really fast and I got through it and it was kind of weirdly similar it's not Scientology at all but I remember talking about this with friends and hearing my mom's story we lived near the Scientology Center when I was a little kid because I grew up in Hollywood and my mom was going through this, couldn't get custody of me. And on a I'm weekday... Sorry. No, that's okay. No, yeah. I didn't, I'm pausing and trying to remember the story. Like, thank you for saying that. But uh, she couldn't get custody, custody of me, was really upset. And on a weekday, like a uh, weak moment for her, the Scientologist left like a pamphlet on her doorstep and she mm-hmm. went, fuck it, I'm going to do this. Like it's mm-hmm. free. Maybe it'll make me feel better. And they made her just tell the story over and over again of why. Mm-hmm. And she went from hysterically crying to not having, not having mm-hmm. the story have any power over her. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, it's, it seems like it's a little bit like EMDR. I think so. Yeah. But, uh, well, not- I think a lot of these things have more in common. That's why I'm not, you know, I think it's more about the quality of the person and how they've learned their training more it is than any one particular thing. Yeah, I don't want to become a Scientologist, but but also, of course, they have tactics that are going to work right. because that's how they hook you in there. But, uh, right, and it just but, maybe doesn't need to become a full-fledged religion. Totally. You know, but there might be some useful things in there. But the problem, and I've been around a lot of those things where there's, you know, pressure on kind of high registration yeah. or turnover. What are the habits that, 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 that you stopped having after doing a lot of EMDR where it's a new... One of them? Well, one is I could feel at a, at a particular time when I'm under stress and I don't really feel this, I would feel a sort of kind of buzzing, agitated buzzing up and down my spinal cord, like this kind of anxiousness that you couldn't quite... And comfort eating didn't really work anymore. So I would just say it would kind of feel this. And because I was explaining, I did a lot of that Hakomi therapy where they ask you, this is like meditation and partnership where you're being asked to kind of check in what's happening in your throat, what's happening in your belly or your feet on the floor, you know, so in, but those kind of, that kind of agitation isn't that fun to live with all the time. And I noticed after a lot of EMDR, a lot of that uh, dropped quite dramatically or I had this habit of picking my thumb anxiously. Me too. You know, and I remember after a particular session of EMDR, I mean, the book is, by the way, not all about EMDR. It goes all over family, yeah, friends, wanna, whatever. And but, I want to talk about all of that. But the, but the but what I'm saying is that I noticed that that habit just stopped, like just kind of overnight stopped. Yeah. But there are other things that um, I have water fasted a fair amount and... Um, I think I've water fasted regularly enough that I think it overall lowered a certain level of of anxiousness in me over really? time, over years of doing it. Not all the time, you know, doing it intermittently. Not Wait. intermittent water fasting. I mean actual, a full-fledged water fast. What does that mean? You just didn't eat and only had water for how, how many Correct. days? Well, like the first one I did, I, I tried to do one, at least one or two times a year. For how long? Um, the first one I did was three days. Like in six months, I tried one that was five days. Then six months, I tried that one was seven days. And then at some point, I got up to the longest I've done is like 21, 21 days. And with all these things you did, in your, what were you trying to fix? Well, in that case, water fasting started because I'd read a lot about um, 
longevity and I have frozen my eggs and fertility. So I'm interested in things that um, sort of slow the, you know, whatever, preserve our fertility and or keep us alive and healthy longer. But I had originally started because I had these really, I was prone to cystic breasts and I had this lump that would come like under stress and I decided, well, I'll try water fasting. So I decided instead of going to have it go to the doctor to have it aspirated to see if I could fast it away, because water fasting does dramatic things to lower inflammation and um, boost your immune system. And so one of them started from wanting to get rid of a cyst I didn't want to deal with medically and the other, which I did. I mean, I still went to a doctor, et cetera, but it was remarkable that it just sort of... Yeah, you know, took it away. So longevity, fertility, interest, health, and uh, well, whatever overall health. With, with all of these things, mm. what was the thing inside of you that you were like battling with? Because if, if I were to ask myself that, it would be like, you know, not every man is your father, and and you're worthy of love, Alexi, even and, and stop being so vigilant and like controlling and filled with fear, and like I, I, I'm like struggle to just like work through that so eventually maybe I can just be calm and accept love and be happy like that's my weird struggle but it's so ingrained in my body mm-hmm. where it's like I'm I'm always like just feeling dread and the need to control mm-hmm. because I'm just so fearful so mm-hmm. on your path finding out about your husband having this relationship after the divorce mm. what, what was it you're working through internally with you that made you seek out all these things that kind of well, one, it was sort of a certain kind of the way of even thinking that way was from a certain amount of conditioning. So I, as the book moves along, I definitely am sort of deferring to things that are of my own making experiments more than kind of looking outside myself for things that um, for someone else kind of to validate leading you? the program. Well, no, I'm saying like that the last section of that book is all experiments I kind of made up myself more than ones that I'd been going to, whether it was a, an organized seminar or group or something like that. Um, but I would say, you know, I suppose the main thing was to feel comfortable in my own decisions and feel like, you know, that I, you wake up wanting to be your best self, that honestly you have a very limited time on earth, that there's this maybe inherent, dream or sense about who you want to be and how you want to make your way in the world and feeling like I didn't quite, wasn't running on all cylinders in that way to be like a really loving, awake, durable version of myself. And I think by sort of hook or by crook, um, I certainly don't recommend people trying as many things that I've tried necessarily. It just sort of came out of one being kind of in a corner thinking, I'll try this, I'll go to a psychic, I'll find out this, I'll find out that, you know, and then coming to a place where I'm like, hey, I might have to just sort of sit here for a hot minute and just figure out what do I really think, where am I going to go? But the, the fallout, which is nice, is that... Um, a lot of those things really contributed to my, you know, I don't think it's crediting one thing was amazing and another one was awful. It's more like this thing kind of led to that thing, which led to this thing. And now it kind of evolved gradually, naturally into, I don't like search in quite the same level. Yeah. Like there's, I mean, I'm certainly interested in, you know, what's odd and, but I don't need to, um, you know, there's sometimes when people ask, well, what blew your mind? You want to have your mind blown? Yeah. I don't know. Like, when people say what blew your mind, I always picture little bits of gray matter splattered all yeah. over a room. Like, I don't necessarily, I tend to believe now, and I'm interested in the kind of slow, steady, 
less sexy sounding change that there's not like promise transformation in a week weekend. And I always had a bit of a cynical hat on just because of... Oh, that's good. I like that. You know, from the very beginning, just because in a way being thrown into it in my family, I was like, what are we doing here, people? Yeah. Like, it's a little bit more like, wait, what are we doing and why? And I'll do it because I guess mom's doing it. But yeah. why? Okay. You know, so I was always quite a questioner yeah. of the whole thing. So it was never like, this is amazing. He's my... Guru, but there was this sense of that there was some idea of this quote answer was outside myself. And as cheesy as it may sound, you know, as things have moved along, I'm much able to defer to my own authority in terms of, you know, what my gut says or what my head says or. Do you, oh, do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean because I feel like when I go to a, a psychic or a tarot reader or ask my girlfriends and we're having hour long conversations about everything and reading self help books, yeah. It's like a control thing. It's like I'm trying to find, yeah, I'm trying to find out answers outside of myself. I'm trying to control a situation where really, I, yeah, it's already in me. I know that and, sounds true. And everything to is say, out of your control anyway. Yeah. That's well, not. I mean, I think you you have the information. It. Uh, this is how, also how I think of it is like there's no direction without problems. Like any direction you choose to go has problems. So I think it kind of boils down to deciding which set with the information I have which is limited and imperfect, which set of problems do I prefer to deal with? Do I prefer to go this way and deal with what looks like this set of problems? Do I prefer to stay in this situation and deal with these problems? Or do I prefer to have this new set of problems that I know less about, but they're interesting for X, Y, Z reason? Instead of having this idea that there's like some crazy, perfect way to go that is problem-free. like yeah. Hilarious! Like, of course it's not. Like, of course it's not. Yeah. It's just which choose set do you choose to deal with? I think when you've dated and you've told people that you've done these things, well, it doesn't come out <laughs> when I say hello. I, I mean, like, but I always feel like <laughs> if I try to tell a man anything, they just see, they just don't get it or they have an attitude about it. I don't know. It's so irritating. About what? Like about like if I'm like, oh, I tried DMT or I want to go to a church and light a candle or I pray to God or I did Reiki or whatever the fuck, like. All these different things. I don't know. I just feel like, uh, I don't know, men don't. Well, I think men are by nature, we haven't, culturally, they don't have as much permission. Oh, yeah. You know, to sort of be curious and flawed. In a way, they're supposed to be driving and, you know, and and we have in some ways the the double-edged sword of it. Yeah. The curiosity and the more openness yeah. that's allowed to, you know, most a lot more of these things you'll see certainly more women and men. But there are men that are, um, you know, certainly I think there are curious searching yeah. types. And a lot of the things I've been, I've been around, you know, guys for one way or another. But um, I'm never attracted to those guys, though. It's which so that funny. Are in those things. Yeah. I'm yeah. always attracted to, uh, I don't know. Actually, I remember I, did, I was in... Um, I did something called the Hoffman process. Please tell me about that. I'm dying to do this. Well, I, I highly recommend it. It's you like do. the Harvard of like a group experience, but it's also uniquely personal to you. It's not like it, it's not one that you have to talk forever, forever to your little group. You're kind of with a group, but you're also definitely in your own literal process. Yeah. But you get assigned um, someone to look after, so that when a session starts, you know, oh, you know, James or whoever is in, and you know, you're keep track of people and I got I got uh, assigned this like 
the hottest guy oh, in the group. Oh, you did? Wait, there are hot guys there? There are hot I'm guys there. there. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but um, but I remember knowing that I felt pretty accomplished because I could tell, you know, he had a lot of like, he was working with a lot of stuff. Oh, God. And um, I was so happy. Like, I was not in any way attracted to him because yeah. I could see the sort of, and I mean this in an endearing way, the sort of hot mess that he was. I was like, yeah, like, so beautiful, lovely guy. And like, no, not interested in navigating those waters with him and the place that yeah. he is. But it was funny to be like, oh, my God, yes, I got to look after the hot guy. Oh, God. Hot guy's here. Oh, hot guy, he's not. Oh, he's, oh, he's in trouble. He has to redo his own funeral because literally you have to go to your own funeral. Wait, please and, break it down. Will you unpack what happened to the Hoffman? Well, I mean, they, you know, you try not to say too much so people have their own experience oh. of it, but at the time. It's expensive. And they isn't don't it? have it now. It's gotten shorter. And they always, they're very generous with applications for um, financial aid. Really? They, yeah. They do a, it's, it's well endowed and, um, they think it takes you know enough effort to put in an application to say, hey, I need support to go, that they try to offer those who ask for support. Oh, my God. So it's not necessarily a full tuition, yeah. but they do a fair amount of outreach. But they used to have it where you had to go to your own, basically, burial. And um, I remember... Um, well, you kind of reenact, whatever. You go to a, we, they don't have this part anymore, I don't think, but you would go to your, to a, a graveyard. Yeah. And I remember Hot Guy um, hadn't, uh, and then you kind of re, you have to write about your experiences and then they assess whether they think you've kind of sorted it out. Anyway, so this guy, so you have to write about your experiences. And I just remember thinking it was so funny. And I hope I don't get in trouble with Hoffman for saying this, but um, Hoffman, he's not alive. Oh, God. The group. But um, anyway, you have to write about your experience. And it's a really cool experience to actually go to your own funeral. You have to go to your own funeral. And um, kind of what, what would people say to you if you're the people you most care about if you didn't show up for your life in the way that you were meant to? Like how would the loved ones around you react? Oh my so God. I remember at my funeral, everyone that I cared about turned their backs on me and walked away for not having kind of stepped into the opportunity that my personal life had been. You know, it was wonderful to sort of have that physical experience. But the point is we all come back and the hot guy... Uh, the tea, he's like sort of in trouble because whatever he'd written about about his funeral, like it clearly he hadn't gotten what they wanted him to get out of it. So I remember they said, and it was kind of a far walk to the to the the graveyard. And so they said, uh, well, you know, you don't have to go all the way to the graveyard. You know, there's a very nice dumpster you can just crawl up next to. Like, That's next what they said to, to him? Kitchen. I was like, you got to love that. Like you could just go, because you want to be at this sense of like where it's sort of decayed and not, you know, yeah. not coming together for you. So like just head out to the dumpster by the kitchen. You could be sort of near there. But it's just don't get the idea that you go to this thing and you go to a dumpster. It's nothing like that No, no, no. I don't. It's I'm a fascinated. very lovely organized experience. But I, just I would know. highly recommend How it. many days is it? Well, it's shorter now. I think it used to be nine. I think they've shortened it within nine days. a smaller... Where um, is it? Well, they have a few. They offer it on the East Coast and on the West Coast. In the West Coast, it's in... Um, the kind of bear, I mean, the um, kind of Napa Valley, Sonoma area. I need to go because I just feel, yeah, I need to go. I well, it's be- very organized. It's very th- thought through. Like Harvard Business School endorses it. Like it has that sort of highbrow cachet, I suppose, where more things are considered a little. But I was really impressed with the quality of the teachers and the people who came. I had a wonderful roommate. I adored her. And you're not allowed, this is cool, you're not allowed to know what anyone does for a job oh, really? until the very end. So there's no sort of weird 
socializing oh, or God. posturizing, you know, like, that people are like bragging or not bragging or so you don't know if you're with a super experienced psychotherapist is next to you or, you know, a taxi cab driver or, you know, a student. You just don't know. Yeah. Um, and I like that part about it because then you're connecting with people in a different way. But it's not way. like it's not like a. Be, despite being in a group, it feels like a very personal between you and your teachers experience. Yeah. So and it's in this beautiful um, kind of hot spring area. So white white sulfur springs. White sulfur springs. Uh-huh. What was the school of life like? Because I've been reading what's it, Alain de Baton or whatever his name is. He's um, like the founder you know, of that. I mean, that has a Fuck them. I can tell you don't like it already. Just kidding. Did you like it? I did. Um, I think... um, I like... Have you watched any of their cartoons? A little bit, yeah. But then I also... I'm friends with animators who like don't like working with them because they get ripped off for the things or something or something weird. That's like knowing too much about like what's behind the curtain, I suppose. I I don't have that relationship to her. I just think it's, you know, smart and very... Palpable, like a down to earth, and and I think it appeals to you know from the sort of European point of view where they're not as um, uh, versed in like showing their whole hot mess in the same way. You know, I mean, I think they're a bit more proper and restrained, and I think there's something in that that makes it very normalizing to talk about your feelings, if you know what I mean. So that it's not as okay for people to get all into it if you're like a Londoner, like dealing with career problems. You're not like weeping at work. You know, people are more, you know, proper. So I think there's a way that he is very good at articulating our underbelly Oh, for European people almost? Yeah. Because they, oh yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, It makes it more digestible, I think, and like less, you know... Messy. That's so great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I was just at something right before we started podcasting today, and I was I ran into like a British friend of mine and told him, oh, I, I told him, I'm like, oh, I'm dating a British guy now too, and uh, and he hates talking about feelings, and all I do is talk about feelings. I want to mm-hmm. dissect everything. I'm like so neuro- analyzing all this stuff. What does it all mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they don't like that over there. Yeah, so maybe that's the one for him. Maybe that's like the he one went for like him. a school of life. Oh yeah, yeah. They have the greatest. Like they have great. Um, I like his books. Actually, they're beautifully done. The way he makes his books and yeah. his pro- he has a sense of humor that I like a lot. Yeah, it's sort of wry and understated, I would say. And also, I remember on their website they offer this beautiful house that you can rent. I, I don't know how much what? it costs in the somewhere in the remote outside of London. I'm pretty sure it's in England. Yeah. Um, where it's constructed for you to have this reflective time. Like the way they built the house is built for an independent meditation kind of experience just with yourself. I imagine it's not cheap to stay there. I've not yeah. stayed there, but it looks absolutely stunning, beautiful. It looks like it's in like, you know, Story Greenland book. or Iceland. No, it's sort of spare and oh my God. windswept. See, I love all this stuff. I just struggle with, cause, because I'm in a relationship, I'm like, wow, this is all fascinating to me. And then if my partner, and I don't usually use the word partner, but... uh if he's not on the same page or just as fascinated by all the stuff that I'm into, mm-hmm. I get really mad, which seems mm-hmm. like it defeats the purpose of if I, if, I, if I want to be in a good place and grounded and confident and solid in who I am. I shouldn't need anybody else to be into everything well, I'm into. But I also think, you know, I remember Elizabeth Gilbert's book about Eat, Pray, committed. Love. No, oh. the one about um, marriage. You know, She's, I think we have really high expectations around um, 
in the West or in the United States about what partners are supposed to be for us. Yeah, like what are they? Your therapist, your best friend, your financial partner, potentially your, you know, the breadwinner, not the breadwinner, the co this, the co. I mean, it, all the different cultural, you know, you marry and you become property, like in terms of the old reason to get married and the, yeah, taking the last name, right? All that, like. It, and really, what are they for now? You what know, are, are they, they for? Are they your best friend? Megan, tell me everything. What's the secret? I don't what are they know. here for? I, my, I myself have gotten to a, a wonderful place oh, that so I jealous. feel like, well, nothing to be I'm just kidding. Of. No, it, the wonderful place with the discomfort and the mess of it. It's not, it, but it's that um, I'm financially, look to myself, I don't need to choose to be married for, you know, I have other business ventures and stuff that, it's wonderful to make a choice that isn't because, oh... I mean, I definitely know people who are still with their people because financially the two of them don't want to be without the other. And I'm not talking around traditional gender lines. It could go either way. And I'm yeah. happy to at least know when I make a choice about settling down or committing. Again, it certainly doesn't need to be for that reason, which is wonderful. And I think all women, this is my bias, like just have your... Just keep going. <laughs> To make your thing happen for yourself so yeah. that you're always in a position to freely choose to be with or not with the person for nothing to do around finances or security. Be autonomous. One, I don't think, I don't think of it now. I used to think that my partner needed to be my therapist and like understand like every single thing. And I just don't think that's what their job is. I really don't think that's their job. Yeah. And how you choose to spend your time if you feel, you know, verbally or emotionally connected to someone that's, that's your own Decision, right? You could really have that in common or not, but I just don't want, I don't need them to be my therapist. I don't need to be, you know, so then what are they there for? Like, I think we're a herding species, H U A, herding, not hurting. Yeah. And that we're sort of meant to be in groups and do well in groups. And I love the companionship of spending time with people. And then if you raise children, of course, then you're coming together you know, for that reason. But um, I certainly don't have the same idea. Like I will always have these best dear, dear women friends in my life and they're not going anywhere. And in a lot of ways I get wonderful needs met. So my expectations around what I want, you know, from a romantic relationship has changed. Oh my God. What do you think about that? I love that. makes me feel so much freer because when I also have a friend who told me that her mom told her, she said, sweetheart, if I had won the lottery, I would have left your father in a See? heartbeat. And she was like, never f- feel that way. You know? Well, and maybe she would have, maybe she wouldn't have, but at least the opportunity to be a young woman and not feel that way. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I, I know people who have the kind of very traditional thing and it seems to be working. And I was more, and I remember going on a hike with some of my friends that are in that situation and they were a bit younger than I was. And they were like, you know, when I get married, you know, I don't want to be with someone who's been divorced and I want to have a boy before I have a girl. I'll be like, I'd just be happy if I'm with someone that I'm really into. And if I have a child that, you know, they're have breathing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. I don't need, but the point is we don't know those experiments are still the works. Like sometimes I think that traditional thing actually works out. I think it's the, not the majority experience, but I think it does happen and those people are quite fortunate. Yeah. And then I think it can work out not traditionally at all and be wonderful. 
Yeah, I think sometimes having all these expectations are just a way to like push the possibility of being in love and being in a thing away from you. Because it's like, oh, you're not all these things, or you did this wrong, or it's supposed to be like this, or yeah, you don't meet my needs on every single level. You don't get me. I don't even get me. Well, they think, <laughs> I think they say, well, you know, you're... Be, Couples, they can predict they'll last longer if they both love the story of their falling in love and like to tell it in the same way. So that there's some... Oh, no. I think there's some <laughs> belief in the mutual shared like agreement oh, you know, God. of what their life is and like what it means. And I think kind of what happens in relationships sometimes, sometimes when they w- don't work out, it's that you've been presented a situation where that narrative doesn't hold anymore and so it blows it out. So you don't have the... What do you mean? Meaning... I'm terrified now. No, no. I'm just saying two people that can agree on what it is that brought them together and why it works and they love this and this loves that. They, and they don't have something happen that really puts pressure on them to find out otherwise. It just sort of... Like I look at my father. He remarried and he was in a place in his life where um, he didn't have as much you know, difficult, difficulty in his career. They weren't raising children anymore. There wasn't those same outside pressures to find out how strong the thing was. So either you're in a situation where it's working because you don't have, you either have a really strong bond and you can tolerate the pressure of life and the situation, or you don't have a strong enough bond or you do, but you haven't had to experience experience the difficulties on top of that thing. You know what I'm saying? So some of them, I think you just, life has gone along pretty smoothly and a big enough variable hasn't come in to test it. Yeah. And then sometimes the variable thing comes in to test it and you either withstand it or you don't. And that's fine. And then you'll just see what happens. You just find out one way or the other and you can maybe be a little more realistic. Lisa, I've tried to become less romantic because I think we're such a romantic species. I'm going to be perfectly romantic even by lowering that bit a little bit in me. Like you can't kill that out of us, I don't think at this point. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm still quite a romantic, just maybe not as much willing to act on it immediately. You know, see a set of blue eyes and then you're done. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> I always end up dating these men who are so much more quiet than I am that are different from I've me. I've had that too. And then I know that I'm with a romantic, but if somebody asks us to tell the story, I mean, I met him on Tinder. He's my first Tinder date ever. Mm-hmm. But if somebody goes oh, you know, to my boyfriend, now, how did you guys meet? The way he tells the story, I'll be sitting there and I'll just be like, oh, this is how you're telling the story. Why like, don't you like how he tells it? Because it's like, well, he's just not as talkative. Because I'm judgmental. I'm a dick, and I'm a, I have all. The, Are you? you know, I think I'm. I think I'm just like it's supposed to be. You know, charm it up, make it sound amazing. Like I. Oh, he's not I'm, making it sound as sexy as you'd like. Yeah, exactly. So it's like he's like, oh, you know, we met for coffee. I picked a coffee spot, and then Alexi came in, and she was nervous, and then she got over it, and we went on a walk. It's nice. It's a nice story, but it's like, what's uh, your version? My version is, it's just every detail. I'm just trying to entertain, you know, uh-huh. the person listening. I'm trying to bring it to life. I'm a writer. Like I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, it's just different, so I think I'm just exhausting but to be with. But the point is, the point is, no, the point <laughs> is, if people have a mutual affection for the way they tell it, like in other words, does he like telling it? I don't. I think he's uncomfortable telling it because he's British and he's a quiet guy and he doesn't like talking about feelings so much. But then sometimes I'll be like, "No, you tell it," and I'll try not to interrupt him and I'll just watch him and then he'll he'll keep looking at me probably because he feels like he's walking on eggshells and terrified I'm gonna turn on him, which is what I bring to the table, which is. What I'm going through lately. Anyway, trying not to do that anymore. But yeah, I don't know. What to not have someone need it? 
I don't know. I'm just like, a, I just have all these, like, I get mad really easily. I get mad really easily. For real, like you have a temper. I'm just always like, what did that mean? Or, uh-huh. ugh, like, I don't know. And then if I... I well, they call that it. a reflected sense of self, right? What do you mean? Oh, like he's a reflection of me. A reflected sense of self is like when a couple gets together, they'll say, you know, at first they're like, I like steak. You like steak. Oh my God, we have so much in common. Yeah. We both like steak. And you get a little more of you like, I like set sets. I like set sets. Oh my God, we love, we like the same things. Well, as they get closer to one another, these two hypothetical people, um, they're going to reveal more vulnerable things, which ironically, it's what, the more vulnerable thing you reveal to that person, the more you need to be there for yourself because it's now going to matter to you that you say something that you really want them to like. So if they say some crazy habit that they're insecure about, but it's really the core thing, they're like, I love to, you know, you know, tickle monkeys at the zoo. I don't know, some like totally obscure thing that not everybody's going to like. Yeah. They're feeling more vulnerable at that point. And they call it a reflective sense of self. The first one is like, I love steak, you love steak. We both love steak. We're reflecting it back to each other. Now with augmenting levels of risk and intimacy, you ironically have to be there more for yourself when they're not super into that one. You have to be okay with it anyway. Okay. I didn't realize you're on my podcast today to like talk me off a ledge and to be my therapist. <laughs> I hope you know. I hope that's okay. No, no. We're going to go. It's going to be tangential all over like the place. But, uh, oh, I'm on a ledge. But, uh. <laughs> Anyway, I don't even know what the point of any of this is. The oh. point is that to say about reflected sense of self Thank or you. whether you're um, what they call, you know, you're just differentiated. So in a differentiated moment, you'd say, hey, that's cool. About him? That's, that? It's okay. that Yes. He can make that him. joke. Yeah, it's no big totally. deal. I know, I know I what I know and I'm over here and that's rad. So everything's okay, you think, in that moment, in that situation that happened? Well, it depends. Look, they're two separate <laughs> issues. Yeah, it's like... How'd that feel? How's it feel to be in relationship with him? How's that feel to be in relationship with him or anyone when I'm not getting fed back the way I like to be fed back? Yeah, feedback, right? Someone's saying, that's brilliant. It's the most brilliant thing I ever think. You brought it together. They loved it. Yeah. You know? Or, oh God, that's so wonderful that happened for you. I mean, I think there are two separate issues, which is, can you stay steady even with a difference of opinion? No. <laughs> Go on. What's the other thing? Or, and... If you can or can't, say you could, you're like, that's okay that he doesn't agree. But, you know, in my life, I actually want more connection in that one particular area. But it doesn't, like, take you down to the studs in the moment emotionally. You can, you're still free to choose, is he for you or is he not for you? But that's a separate question than... Um, you know, in that moment, did it rattle me to my core, right? Yeah. You could still decide at the end of the date, you're like, it doesn't upset you, yeah. right? Because the more intimate you get, the more you care what they think. Yes. Which is why if it was a first date or whatever, you'd be like, yeah, we disagreed on that, but whatever. Like, it doesn't matter as much when you don't feel invested. So the question is, can you still feel intimate in your case or my case when someone doesn't echo back, you know, what we like? Does that make you feel less close to them? Yes. And do you like it less? Do you like them less? Yes. Makes so that's sense. information for you. Yeah. They don't need to do anything. Because they didn't even really do anything wrong. It's well, just he what is. Decide, it, it's not really up to him. It's just, it's your part, right? Oh, because it's, I'm the one it matters to. That's right. So it's up to me. So if I don't hook into it, everything can be great, right? Well, you can hook into it or not hook into it, but it doesn't discredit your experience it doesn't discredit... I know it doesn't discredit that experience. But you're acting as if by he his disagreeing, 
it just in my listening to you, the way yeah. you're bringing me into it. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the way that you're describing it, it's like it rattled you for some reason. It rattled me because it made me feel uh, misunderstood, being t- uh, not close to somebody I want to be the closest to. Yeah. But if you can, like, if, he can't when we see can me. stand ourselves, you say, that's cool. I mean, it makes me feel like you don't totally get me, but you don't need to, like, when you feel differentiated in yourself, you don't need them to, to fix be- it. Right, you just let them know, and they can do what they want to do about it. But you don't. People they say like when couples are like a really having um, let's say one person's having an affair and the other person um is not, <laughs> yeah, and they know about it, right? Or well, here's a better example. Like I went to these couples counselors in the book, and at some point they were saying in their own lives and they, they've written about it that one was ready to have a baby and one wasn't ready to have a baby. And they used to fight about it a bunch. Yeah. She, she wanted to change his mind to have a baby and he didn't want to have a baby so they argued about it. And they say when you get really clear in yourself like about what you want, it can get really quiet. There's almost no fighting anymore because you're okay with whatever. It's just presenting a choice. So in their case, I think she said, I get that you don't, want to have you know kids right now i'm ready to have kids i am going to stop using birth control so that should we have sex there's a chance that we may be pregnant yeah. now it's up to you to decide if you want to have sex with me or not but those are the terms if we're having sex we're having sex for the chance that i might have a baby well there's no there was no fight in it at that point because yeah. she was just clear and calm that's what she wants to do and he's going to now they're going to have a problem if he doesn't want to right because at some point then she's going to have to say, okay, well then I want to have kids more than I want to be with you. So now it's ending or yeah. he decides, well, I'm, I actually want to be with you more than I don't want to have kids. So I'm going, and I, or I want to have sex more than I don't want to not have kids. So let's have sex. Yeah. Right? So, but the point is it can be done. That's why they say at a certain point when you get to that point of feeling really differentiated in that way, it gets really quiet. There's nothing more to fight about. There's like, nothing more to fight about. Well, well because you don't need to, them to change their mind. You just say, well, this is my boundary, which is like, my minimal thing about needing someone to feel loved by you is to have some this percentage of understanding around when I'm like emotional or this or that and describing and wanting you to be a part of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you just don't need to change them. So there's nothing to argue about. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense, but I just know that I bring so much uh uh I just bring so much to the table as far as like I need a lot because I need a lot of love. I want a certain amount of validation. That's not healthy. I've heard this from therapists. I've heard it from my mom. I mean, nobody can do it for me. I can't. I, I try to externalize. I try to get everything from outside myself. So to be like, well, my about, and I talk so much and I'm going so intensely in my brain that I can just trick myself into thinking I'm right. To me, I'm always right. You know, even though I can step back and. So it's just I don't want to be my own worst enemy. And uh, I'm just so confused as to what's no, important it anymore. it sounds like you're trying to figure out, like, you know, where you end and someone else begins. begins. Well, yeah, because I'm like, oh, you know, I need a lot of love. I've talked to my therapist about this, and I'm so sorry to make it so much about me. You caught me on a weird day. It's no, raining and thunder. I'm having a nice time. Um, I am too. Um, you were talking to your therapist. Talking to my therapist, being like, you know, you know, saying, but I just, you know, I'm a person who needs a lot of love. I want to hear I love you a lot. I want the person to like yeah, say but then it a lot. Here's the difference. Yeah. If you're not getting that in the way that you want, 
then there's no sense banging on the other person to get them to be different. Then, then you have to walk and say, hey, I adore you. I'm not telling you about this. I'm not saying this is My not situation. giving you any prognosis about your relationship. I know nothing about it. But yeah. In general, the pattern yeah. of any of us, like if you're not getting it, you're like, I adore this and this and this and there's this thing I want and maybe I'm hallucinating, but I really want that and so I need to walk instead of, in a way, causing harm. By like him. bashing on someone. It's like abuse. Not, well, because, well, I don't know if it's abuse or not, but it's just, you have to make a difficult decision, which is, do I, would I want to be with this person when I'm not getting this? And am I good with that? And if I'm not good with that, what am I doing here? Yeah. As opposed to spending, because believe me, I have spent so much time and I'm quite verbal trying to get someone to understand or inspire them to think this way or that thing about life or love or commitment or trust or honesty. And even if you're like the most skilled verbal person in the world, that sometimes can be not in your favor, I have found, because you can get people enrolled in something. Maybe that's not really even good for them anyway. It's not really what they want and it's not really what... You want, but you, you're afraid, or not you, but one can be afraid to just walk and be like, oh, that's what I was saying before. You kind of have to choose the set of problems that you want. Like you can either be with the person that you're experiencing, you're not quite getting what you want, you know, or not be with that particular person and also not have that disappointment. And no direction is without problems. Would you rather be not with that person and not have that problem or be with that person and have that problem? I'll be with another person with the same problems. Well, but maybe, but the more you kind of, I think, the less I've tried to bang on the other person to sort themselves out and the more I, that's partly why I did the two and a half boycott because I was like, what have I been doing over there trying to get them to be just a little bit different, you know? Yeah. And I just stopped, you know? I was like, I'm not, I don't want to be up in anybody's business trying to have it be just a teeny bit different or be a little bit more understanding in me or try one more time to be okay with this or that instead of just really early being like, that's cool that you want to be like that and you're, you know, we were sort of in a long distance thing. Oof, I hate this. But there was a ton of ambivalence. And instead of just hearing that ambivalence and ignoring his like begging to stay in it, his ambivalence, it would have been a wonderful moment to just say, you can have your ambivalence and I'm choosing to go, choosing to go over here. And that doesn't come without disappointment if you've had attachment or lovely romantic or great sex or whatever. It's yeah. just, it's, and it, I suddenly had all this time because I wasn't trying to get <laughs> these you know, people to, or get myself to be one more second of understanding or compassionate or twisty or bendy. You know what I mean? That's what I, I'm just like in so much, I suffer so, I'm I'm happy a lot of the time, but I'm suffer so much because I'm like, I'm so confused as to what I need and what really matters, what my issues are that I need to kind of get a handle on because I will, I do bring it to every relationship, like whether it's like jealousy or getting angry or always being disappointed because I used to always say like, oh, I can always tell when I'm in love because I'm constantly angry and disappointed because all of a sudden it's like if I were on my own, if I was going through a rough day or something weird happened, I'd deal with it myself. I would handle it myself. It'd be fine. But when I'm in a relationship, I'm like, well, you didn't say that you should have said this or you didn't compliment me. You didn't make you like, I'm like a bottomless pit. Like 
of like needing stuff. So I could be with a person who does gives, 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 gives. And at the, at the end of the day, it's like, they're like, nothing makes you happy. Have you been with a bottomless pit who gives, 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 gives? gives? I'm the bottomless pit. No, I'm have a bo- you been one like bottomless pit to one who gives, 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 gives? The person, uh-huh. well, I, what I hear is for, it's him. And when I'm good and I don't, all my, my mood isn't affected by how he sounds on the phone or if he's sleepy or if he's not super charming or saying the right thing or saying I love you a lot or I don't know. When I'm good, it's interesting. He's calm and he comes towards me and, and it's like everything unfolds how I, what I, what I want. When I do nothing and I'm well, happy Well, you know there's calm. this thing about the high desire and the low desire partner. Do you what know this? You, no, tell me that. Well, high desire partner, and this isn't about sex, it's about... The person in control of any relationship, and this isn't just romantic. Is that me? Anything. Well, we'll, 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 you can sort yourself. Okay. So the high desire partner is the, is, um, well, the low desire partner is in charge. So the person who is willing to sort of walk or turn away. So sort of like you're negotiating a used car, your used car lot. If you say, you know, that's my bottom line, that's my number. If you want that number, like I'm out. And then you really mean it and you turn and walk away and you say that I, you couldn't come down to the number I needed or whatever, so I'm done. And they walk away. Well, then and the other person decides the high desire partner still wants to make the sale. So they run after the low desire partner and say, please, if we do this, that, I'll give you a better deal. And then we interest rate, la, 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 la. Yeah. So that can flip flop in a relationship. Um, and uh, so you get kind of to decide in your particular situation, are you the high desire partner or the low desire partner? Wow, I could decide too. No, maybe based on what you've been lately. I'm the high desire because I'm like... Grasping. Being like... Are you gra- graspy? Oh, no. I really hope he's not listening or any of his friends. <laughs> I'm just going through a moment. How dare you guys judge me? Um, no, this is oh, no, you're neutral. not neutral. No, I'm not well, judging you at all. No, no, I don't think you are. I'm just pretending if, if anybody he knows or family oh. members or... I'm just a woman living my life trying to figure out love yeah. and relationships. Um there's a lot of like me being disappointed and unhappy and, and and annoyed and then him feeling attacked because he's just trying to make me happy. Well, the more you sit in yourself, this is, I find this to be very true, meaning sit back in yourself. Yeah. The more you become, the more they, they come toward you. I mean, I've been in relationships where I've like, you know, for it to really work with that particular individual, I they really liked me if I had been... If it was just as though I'd come out of general anesthesia, you know. That's how I have to be. That's what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's twofold. One is it the right match, but two, how much of it is it if you're having a really nice time, just when you stay in yourself? It feels a lot better when I stay in myself. Yeah. So, if, if I'm not going, why isn't he texting me today? Four o'clock can roll around, and I won't text him. And I'm like, I'm in my own world. I just don't want to talk to him because if we have a weird moment on the phone or I don't like the sound of his voice. I'll get in a weird mood. So I just want to like not deal with that because I'm afraid we might get in a fight. We're in a good place. We left in a good note yesterday. So I'm going to pitter pat around my life. 4 p.m., I'll call him now. If he does that to me, if it's like 4 p.m. and I haven't heard from him all day, I'm furious. That's all I just wanted to tell you that. Well, that, that's, that's <laughs> being in the high desire partner situation. That's me being a high desire partner. Yeah, as opposed to if I just went, 
cool. I'm living my life. I'm doing a podcast. Then you find out. Well, that, that's what I'm saying about being sedated. There are people to be the high desire. The, the person for me to stay with, they were so low desire. And I don't just mean about me. I mean about life. What do you like, mean? Meaning they weren't like particularly ambitious or they weren't. They just sit back and let life kind of happen to them and they really enjoy it and it's nice. There's nothing wrong with it. But to like get contact, I would have to, you know, like sort of reach out and sort of grab them. So for me to outwin if there's a high desire, low desire contest, to like sit back enough so that eventually the person would come towards you. I'm saying at that point you have to be sedated yeah. to not mind that you're not having contact. Because some people that's that's a fine amount of contact. You you understand? Yeah. But to like out under desire them yeah. basically and I don't mean your my boyfriend person. Yeah. I'm just saying any of us like you have to d- figure out if it's enough of a match that the same amount of contact feels about right yeah it's we talk every simple. day we talk every day so I don't even know what my problem is I guess I'm just uh just so confused I hate all the work it takes that I'm trying to do to uh be comfortable in a relationship and it's, I so want to blame the other person and be like it's not right it's not right even though what even though it feels right when I when I'm happy, when I'm in my own body and when I'm grounded, and I don't know. think I think a lot of times when we say think you're confused, I think it's just that you don't want to make a decision about the information you get either about yourself or the other person, and so you sort of we call it being confused when it's yeah. really like it's hard to make a choice. Oh, it's a knowing though you already know, but I don't. I doubt that you're as confused as you say. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do. I doubt that about myself. Whenever I say, I'm really confused, it's really, really simple. Like, no, you either like okay. something and you want to sort of go toward it or you're having a problem with it and you want to move away, but it's scary to move away. So you'd rather say, call it being confused. I'd rather call it being confused and saying, oh, I have to make this decision and I don't want to make it. I'm talking about a little way. I'm not talking about yeah. break up, don't make more. I mean, anything. Yeah. I think I love him and I really do love him. And I could be happy. It's just uh, so hard for me to be tr- to trust someone. Well, um, I used to have, uh, when I was dating someone, this is a while ago, I would have this reminder on my phone to sit, it would just say their name was sit way back. It would just, their name was sit way back. Really? Meaning just sit way back in myself and like enjoy myself and not kind of leave myself to go out and you know, be entertaining or funny or this or that or whatever that habit was in yeah. me. And so every time they called, I'd be like, oh, right, sit way back. You know, just sit back. And was that nice? Did it work? Yeah. So that's a nice way to do It's just a reminder for yourself and then you coexist with another person and it could still be nice. Yeah, it just would remind me, oh, right, with this person, I tend to like leave myself a little bit and get all caught up in their business or their thing and I'd be like, no, their name is sit way back. Yeah. Sit way back. So maybe I just need to do that. I think, well, that's what I think. Yeah. It's sort of just deciding how far to sit and then you can sit far enough back that you'll say, okay, that's far enough and then they'll miss you. You know what I mean? They're... So far back, yeah. This doesn't make it a game; it's just a dynamic. That then they'll ask you to come out and play a little bit. You're like, yeah. all right, I'm going to come out here a little bit. I mean, I've been with him for a year, and I still have moments where I'm like, oh, he probably wants me to leave his apartment, and he's like, why would you even think? Let's just like relax, calm down, be comfortable. And I'm like, I don't know how. Like, I don't know. And I'm always starting fights because I'm addicted to pain. I think that's the thing. It's like very makes me feel close to someone when I'm fighting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like heated. That's like early twenties stuff, and I'm still doing it, and it's. I'm not in my early 20s uh-huh. or, or my 20s at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, I don't know if you have any of that or... Well, that I still do things that... Or if you had that too where it's like fighting because... I'm not... You sound I'm, very centered. You sound great. Oh, so Keep well. giving me your secrets. No. 
Um, I'm not a... Well, I've almost made the mistake. So recently, the guy that I've been dating, uh, I so I'm just sort of rolling with it just to see what I like that I've I've been more in the situation where he's asked me, hey, can you... Can you let me know how you feel more? Like, so it has oh, flip-flop. you're so cool. No, but it wasn't intentional. It's yeah. like, it's honestly genuine. I got to do more EMDR. Well, <laughs> I got to process some of this trauma. Did you even have any trauma? You had trauma. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, right, tra- it's that word. It's like, how sensitive a person were you? Were you when you were born. What, and just what was your inherent natural sensitivity and then what were the circumstances you were in, right? So you could have been a highly sensitive person with like, you know, I certainly wasn't in Darfur surviving, yeah. you know, yeah. shrapnel, right? Yeah. But like a high sensitivity and some challenging family dynamics where, um, you know, my parents were very caught up in their own experience and I was just, you know, like a lot of us wanting a lot of contact, you know, more contact that I could have. So I wouldn't call it like trauma, like, you know, I wasn't abused in that way, but very sensitive and didn't know how to deal with that sensitivity. Like trying to have a smoother relationship between me and me. Yeah. You know, how is it between me and me? What happened with the marriage? Well, I'm not going to give it all away. All right, just had to ask. Well, then what about the, the relationship after? Stay, find out about it in the book? I don't, well, they're all... Um, do we find out what happens? Yes, about book. So there's a person after. Yeah, the the book goes on till quite recently, really. But um, yeah, it's kind of. I don't want to take away the plot. Don't take away. Okay, then don't. I so I ask and tell me you're not going to answer. But yeah. uh, but uh, but they were very different relationships. The two main relationships that were in that book. I think kind of I played out on the second relationship a bunch of the stuff that I hadn't kind of really dealt with in the first. Yeah, you know. So some of the fun, stalking, crazy stuff that happens like later in the book. Um, with the second guy? With the second guy. Kind of almost happened on the anniversary of the time of some of the arrest stuff that happened earlier. And I sort of oh. looked back and I didn't really realize that until I was actually writing it to see, oh, it was like late August and it was right around my birthday. And yeah. Who, you know, that weird stuff with it yeah. when they say someone's going postal and they'll look up and the person went postal right around the time that... Um, and I think partly because... There was stuff going on in the second relationship that reminded me a little bit of what was going on in the first, and so I almost overcorrected, you know, not sort of not knowing how. Like this time, I'm going to listen to my gut, and like almost went over listening to my gut. You know, have went out in there and got sort of snoopy. Have you ever gone through phones? What? Have you gone through phones before? Um, ever? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, ever! I love it. You're like uh, ever. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've yet to go through a phone, but what was all my girlfriends go through their boyfriends' phones? It's I've not, done it like once. Once, doesn't yeah. every time we've all talked about it? It just sounds like uh, it's a dirty feeling. Why? Why is it feeling dirty feeling? Because if you want to be really open with the person, you would just say, "I'm feeling, I'm feeling this insecure thing, and the thing I want to do is grab your phone right now and just know what your whole story is. That's it. And so I just want to tell you that and. I'm not going to grab your phone, but if I'm feeling like this, I probably should step a little further away from this whole deal. From and it's not because of anything that you're doing. No, like today or this or whatever. I'm not saying break up immediately the second you want to touch a person's phone. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, usually there are good signs that there's something going on between like me and me that like needed to be dealt with. Yeah. Or are you really getting a good gut hit, yeah. you know, and... Um, Did you find anything in the phone? Um. Yeah. Ooh. 
little bit. Like what'd you find? Like to, just you know, some you know person that he was like speaking to that Ugh. you know just wanting to know how long ago he'd been speaking to the person he wasn't. This is a long time ago. So gross. A really long time ago. But like you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I think if you get that funny little feeling inside yourself about whatever it is you're doing, there's probably a, a better option yeah. than that one. That just, like, nervousness you get to grab the phone and think as soon as you grab the phone, the person's going to walk in. Yes. And, you know, oh, like, God. all that. Who wants to feel that heat and anxiety, like, in your body around Sounds exciting. Your, oh, well, I should yeah. do it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. Sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. All my girlfriends are always like, yeah, but then you find stuff or you don't. But then you're, if you don't find anything, you see conversations he had before he met you. And then that makes you, it's weird to like see somebody having a conversation with someone like you're just spying on them and you can read into something or you don't know what the context of it was. Or if you find something and you can't even really bring it up because you can't be like, I went through your phone because then you're the dick who went through the phone. Yeah. So, oh my that God. chapter yeah. starts, I'm, you know, 35 years old and I'm squatting in a bush. Oh! <laughs> not a large bush. I have not lost my keys. I've not stumbled and landed here. I'm not gardening. I'm hiding. Oh, God. It gets worse. I'm 35 years old, squatting in a bush, and I have eavesdropping on my non-boyfriend boyfriend and his non-girlfriend girlfriend. For more than two years, he'd been my primary relationship. Dogs, dinner party, you know, dinner time and morning coffee, and then he left with equivocal words like, I love you, but let's just see if something naturally unfolds between us. And now I am in squatting in some stranger's yard, straining my ear, ears to listen to their dinner party conversation. Oh my heart my is racing. And what I remember about that time is that, like, it wasn't even all that interesting. They were talking about nothing. Oh, like, it was no! so boring. Like, <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for my adrenaline pumping about, like, you know, 35 liters a minute, it was frankly, like, a little bored. You know, in my imagination, they've been having a far more unbelievable, mind-altering time. Than yeah. what, you know? Yeah. Really, he's like saying the same stuff he'd always said to, you know, me. And I thought, that's eh, still kind of boring. Oh, my God. You know, God. it was more. <laughs> oh, my God. I've actually gone back to that bush. Like, I've seen it. Like, and I'm like, is that what it looked, you know, is that oh. really what it looked like? It yeah. looks more of like a hedge now. I just get afraid that somebody's going to desire someone other than me. Well, they probably will. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's just natural. Like, Instagram searches. It doesn't mean they'll act on it. Like I've, you know, haven't you been, people have like, it's like 8 billion sexual thoughts a day. They like, do? So can, of, of course they I do. I masturbate to the thought of my boyfriend. Yeah. Isn't that boring? You know, you, it doesn't matter. You know, you could get on a, I mean, I have this thing sometimes when I. <laughs> oh God. No, of course people have sexual thoughts all the time. It's just that, you know, that's what our frontal lobes are for. Lobes are for. Like we have some control over what we do with them. So it's just some, some crazy sex thought passes yeah. through your, your boyfriend's brain it doesn't mean anything's gonna come of it yeah you know you don't i mean really of course i know i mean like instagram drives me crazy the searching on instagram and what i don't know i was talking to somebody like what somebody might be searching for on instagram or like what wormholes are going even if they're not liking a photo just all this stuff just makes me crazy but and then i talked to somebody and they said well like a therapist or like the degree in which your all your shit comes up has to do with how much you care about the person. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's how fearful you get where it's like, oh God, if this is the guy that I've, the first guy I've ever wanted to marry and have kids with, uh-huh. that's why I'm like acting out and like feel crazier right. than I've ever felt before in my life. Even my mom has been like, oh, I've never seen you like that one on Zoloft. 25 milligrams of Zoloft feels like it's nothing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Nothing's happening, mm-hmm. but uh, it's been three months, but... Yeah. And I've been in that situation where I've asked like some stuff that came up in my marriage. It, 
I think it came up in part because I was the first, you know, a more intimate relationship that he'd had. So I, I think that, I think there's some truth to that. Oh, so that that's it, why he last, like acted out, out well, or something? I don't something? know if that's why, but those two things were kind of correlational maybe. I don't know if they were causal, but they were happening. The, the kind of the deeper, the thing, it was the thing I was saying before, the deeper you get into something, the more at risk you feel and the more anxious you can get. And yeah. then you know, want to go out and sort of soothe yourself and what are the things, whether... You know, maybe some people shop or they gamble or they go down Instagram wormholes or whatever to soothe themselves to bring them back to some kind of equilibrium, you know. Oh but my God. sometimes I think, you know, just like we're all, you know, it's hard. It's a hard world to like just have an open heart for like two minutes in a week. Yeah. Two minutes. How do you do it? What? And how now, do- yeah. And how do you look at relationships now? Like, I mean, um, I mean, I guess I'm most, right now I'm focused on the book. how to stay, I mean, that thing I was saying, I don't think it's anything different than you, like, dating. I mean, obviously I'm traveling a lot for this thing, or not obviously, and um, he's very much in your world, and it's, you know, 20, yeah. 20 below, and a lot about, you know, chopping wood and hauling water and stuff. But um, Sounds sexy. Yeah, <laughs> that part is. I mean, oh, that's a lot of labor. Like yeah. people look at where I live, and they're like, "Oh my god, it looks so beautiful." I'm like, it's also a tremendous amount of because I haul my own water and propane, if you know, for my stove and chop wood. And what made you want to live like shovel. this? Um, I'm just a person of extremes. I'm not really that good at the middle of the bell curve. So I either like to be like in a big crazy city or like living in my weird yurt. And I I've spent a lot of time and outside so there's this way that the day-to-day vibe there makes everything feel special like I don't know if you like camping or being in the mountains but yeah so imagine you live somewhere that feels like you're always kind of on a hard working camp out yeah you know there's just something intense and interesting and Wyoming has some of the darkest night skies you know in the country yeah when I go outside to go to the bathroom or whatever like there it is I look up and it looks absolutely stunning and I think you sort of get reminded that you're like this tiny little thing in a large crazy odd world and you just I, you know it sort of forces you because it's practical to oh I literally have to go chop wood and carry water like, yeah it's that simple it really I mean it, it is and it also you know it makes it hard when you're on deadlines and have to do other things and your stove's going out what about internet I have internet. I have a... Where are you um, going to the bathroom? Is there an outhouse? There's a bathhouse that I can walk to that's about, I don't know, 700 feet away. Yeah. Or I just pee outside. If it's really cold, I, I have a jar. Yeah. Oh my God, there's just, so many different ways to live life. I know, right? You're really reminding me that there's like, I could go live on a mountaintop underneath the night sky. I could live like that. I could... Do what I... Is there some So I different, split yeah. my time, more of my time is spent in a yurt and then I have a a home in Venice that's a multi-unit Airbnb thing that I hope to get to occupy more of my time. Oh, wow. So yeah. Um, and I love interior design and stuff, so I try to make these places, you know, beautiful and I like to be with. But I just, I, I like those swings. When you describe the book, how do you describe the book to people? When well, like, it's definitely an unexpected memoir in terms of its structure because it's anchored by these different therapies and modalities and experiments, but it's, um, you know, one woman's journey genuinely trying to 
become a more durable, loving, awake version of herself in the midst of dramatic, crazy, funny marital problems and family problems. Like what does it mean to be in a family and how do you navigate, you know, looking after parents? I mean, I'm, I'm good at funny and sad living in close proximity. So I think me too. If people are into what's funny and sad and want to feel a little less alone and a little less freakish, I think that's the kind of book I like to pick up. I want to write a book that I wanted to, to read, I yeah. suppose. Oh my God. What's next on this tour? Where or what? What? All of it. I'm, uh, tonight I'm in Long Beach and tomorrow I'm in Portland. And You're doing Lebanon. readings? Oh yeah. All over. I'm like 70 stops. 70 stops? Yeah. Where it's do we on my f- website. Oh, it's on your website, which MeganGriswold.com is? under books and events. Oh like I have God. the scrappiest, greatest, most awesome tour ever. Yeah. I'm just going around and cultivating readers. Yeah. At bookstores. Oh my God. Hopefully mostly a lot of independent books. I Bookstores. Um, that's what tonight's is in Gatsby's books. And then tomorrow, Powell's, the beautiful Powell's Oh, wow. Portland. Oh, that's nice. And then the Tattered Cover in Denver. And Oh, my God. Um, you get on audio, too, and you read it, right? I read it. That's yes. my favorite way to, to, hear a book. to hear a book. Yeah, to, to... Well, and my best friend is blind, and she's a character in the book. And oh, really? she was losing her eyesight as I was trying not to lose my mind. And so oh. I started writing stories to... Um, entertain her and cheer her up and sort of navigate my own kind of landscape and read to an audience of one. So I actually have spent years and she's been my best critic over the many years it took to write the book. And so I've read it aloud a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And um, she's listened a lot. So when we recorded the audio book, she came too. Oh my God. That was really special. Her name's Coco. Oh yeah. I've already met her in the book, even though I haven't finished it. So Coco is my, um, my audio Guru, or whatever. How long did it take to write? Ten years. Ten years. Mm-hmm. And when did you know? Like, I'm going to write a book. Did, did you start? I did this down? small one woman show a while ago, and a literary agent came and I and said, "Oh, you should take that seriously." And they wanted to sell it on proposal, which sometimes they'll sell like a nonfiction book before it's done. And yeah. I really, well, I, I started taking it seriously at that time, but I didn't want to sell on a proposal because I wanted to sort of figure out what the book was without figuring out what someone else thought was saleable. Oh, that's so You know, yeah, so it just took a long time, partly because I had to generate other income streams while I was writing it and also because, you know, I was learning to write and boil it down and down again and down again and down again and down again. So, um you know, took, I had a couple of graduate degrees in something else. So the last thing I was going to do is another thing. So the last thing I was going to do is feel like I could go get a third master's. So I just, I guess I had my own MFA yeah. with Coco on the other end of the phone listening to me and telling me, oh, that part's awesome and that part doesn't seem right, quite true. Like on some gut uh, thunk, Yeah, you know. So yeah, it took a while. And then, you know, there's a lot to learn just of making a book or making the cover or um, Who did I the cover? Love the cover. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Who did this? What are um, all these things in the center? Well, they're it's all like, my. I wanted all the things. It's called the Book of Help, a Memoir and Remedies, and those are all my remedies. And I wanted them to be non-cliche. And I didn't want them to look like tinctures or yeah. sessions or somebody in a yoga pose. Yeah, you know, I wanted it to be the unexpected. So this is from a chapter called "Raise a Field Mouse as Your Own." This is from a cadaver lab. 
This is from learning to surf. This is from a salsa lessons thing. This is from a tarot card reading. This is when I was a backcountry instructor. Oh, my God. This is Coco going blind. Oh. This is the five elements, which is the style of um, acupuncture in the book that I used to practice. This is related to, like, doing, you know, boiled wild herbs. So this is metal, fire, water, wood, Earth, there's a little earth right there. Yeah. And it's a woman that, um, so they gave me a lot. I had sold the book illustrated, and so they gave me more leeway. There's illustrations in the book, too. Yeah. Um, but it's this wonderful woman named H, H, A I T C H, but H, like you say, like H from Romania. She's beautiful stuff. I've never met her. I'm dying to meet her. Oh, wow. Um, who kind of crawled up inside my brain, I suppose, you know? Yeah. There's a hidden, um, there's a chapter on, called Sex Toys, and there's a hidden dildo. I think it'd be funny to have a contest called Where's Dildo instead of Where's Waldo, because to, to find this funny that H snuck in a little dildo oh, really? in the illustrations. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's hard to see in there. It might be easier to see on the Kindle edition. Yeah. I'm going to get the uh, audio version, too. This is my favorite, so I can go on long walks and just like have you in my head. Yeah. I love it when the author reads the book, too. It just makes it more, so much more cozy and like intimate. Yeah. If they're, if they're a good reader. Yeah. Hopefully you'll like how I read. I think I did. You, already, you did like a chunk right there for me. Like you're off the cuff. I couldn't believe it. Well, <laughs> I told I like, you I've read it a lot out loud. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, what do you want now in a relationship? Like now that you've... Well, like I'm gone- thinking about having a baby. Thinking about having a baby by myself. And I'm in a funny like moment to decide when to do that. I froze some eggs. So, um, so I'm not sure. Like yeah. it's... It's funny the guy that I'm dating. He had a he had a galley, and he drove back home over Christmas to see his family. And he gave his mom a galley of the book, and it's like a crazy book. Like it's funny and out there, you know. And it's you know soulful and sad and all that too. But I was like, you did what? So he handed her the book, yeah. And then she re- read it like gobbled it up over the next three days. Yeah, and she's like a conservative. <gasps> um, Christian from a rural part of the East Coast, and yeah. I was like, "Oh my God, my God, what? Where is she now? Wait, is she to that part? Oh, oh, oh God. oh God! I mean, what a weird way to meet someone." So she had, she had three questions for him, like, "Who was this character at the end of the very end of the book?" This sort of not to get anything away, and you know, what's your relationship like with your sister now? That was another question, and um, what do you plan to do with your eggs? I was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah. <laughs> you know, of all things, because she's probably thinking, "Oh." I imagine she's intimate with my son. What is she planning yeah. to do? So um, I'm trying to figure out how, if I'm pretty self-sufficient, like do you decide? Do I decide to do like a sperm donor or ask someone that I know or do you wait a little guy? bit and see? Where it goes with this guy? Yeah, or just any person that you're intimate with. Like what's that line? You know, it's yeah. a weird question. Like how do you, you got to pull the trigger at some point. My friend Molly has a podcast called Spermcast, and she was doing that. She froze her eggs to buy herself time and just feel f- some freedom and stuff. Yes, and, and I definitely do. Like I'm in the position of a guy, of a, more of like a dude. Yeah, I, I think instead of that like episode of Seinfeld where Elaine was like, "Is some guy sponge worthy?" I'm like, "Are they, sp- are they sperm? Are they egg worthy?" Uh, yeah, the egg worthy. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, I have a friend who's dating a guy now, and like she thinks she froze her eggs when she was. I think she froze them when she was 40 and now they're having a hard time and it's, or 41 maybe, I don't know. And then another friend, everybody's freezing their eggs and searching for whatever they're searching. Yeah. Um, but now I want to know what you're going to do with them. Yeah. Well, and the other weird thing is once you're kind of 
they're frozen, you can also, in certain states, it's legal to spin for gender. And part of me, as long as I've let science enter this so much, so that I spin for, a, like, I'd really like to raise a girl. I'm like, oh, my God. What do you mean you can, you can unpack that for me? You can microsort the sperm for, you know, because the sperm carries the gender, so you can decide oh. that you want a boy or a girl. Oh, my and, God. And when eggs are frozen, you have to take the sperm and take a needle. You don't just wait for the, the egg and the sperm to merge. It's developed from being frozen, a little bit hard shell, so they have to take a needle and, and shoot straight into the... The cell, so I'm like, well, as long as I'm having to do that, that's called ICSI. I'm like, as long as I'm having to do that, like ICSI, so, ICSI. so they just jam, they have to insert the sperm into they, the they egg. Have deep. To shoot, they have to. The cell is the large. The egg is the largest cell in the body, and even when it's dehydrated, that it's so big, it's pro, it's prone to two things: freezer burn and wow. shattering. And so they dehydrate the cell. While they freeze, and then they, and I'm like, what water do you put back in there? Like, yeah. Where is it from? Yeah. Like, is it like Arrowhead? Is it Evian? Like, what do you do? Can you save my water? <laughs> They're like, your water? No, they thought it was nuts. I was like, maybe because there was all that magical weird stuff about water or the molecules and snowflakes. I was like, can you put that water back? No. Oh my God. Yeah. So they put some tiny, tiny, you know, you can see an egg cell almost with the least, it literally is the largest cell in the body. So, but they have to, because of that freezer burn problem, they have to take a needle and then shoot the sperm that you've chosen into the um, egg itself once it's rehydrated. And having microsorted the sperm, then you could pick a girl or a boy. Oh my God. To do that. You know, it's very like Twilight zone And people are going to say, oh, that's horrible. Well, the whole thing seems rather unnatural that I've opted to do. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm already in the kind of unnatural... Science. Landscape, yeah, <laughs> it's all science, though, isn't it? Well, you know? so there's just one, and if it's just me, or you yeah. know, but and and partly why I like launched into this Airbnb, you know, thing here, which is also my residence. It's all very legit, legal, LA, whatever. yeah. But um, <laughs> it was uh, partly because I want some hustle. Like if they want to go to very expensive college to make sure I can do it, yeah, you know, on my own, whether someone's. They're not there, so I don't know. Seems Wouldn't like, it make it easier if somebody was there, though? I don't know. Bit? I have friends that are doing it alone. I mean, on the one hand, it's wonderful. I've always had that very romantic, idealized thing. I want to share that with a partner more yeah. than I thought that I... Otherwise, I would have frozen an embryo, which is a more stable thing. And then you know you're going to have one. It's not dependent. So I was still thinking, oh, I will add whoever this person that's going to be my person to this situation, yeah. if I'm fortunate enough to do so. And... um so on the other hand, it doesn't prevent someone from coming into your life that you just have, oh, you know. that's true. It, I mean, I know plenty of people that are in successful or interesting blended families that a child was there already. You know, plenty of women that men that date that have children and yeah. have a child. And so there you go. And yeah. either, you know, you adopt them, you don't adopt them, they're yours or theirs. You know, so and I'm also from a pretty successful blended family. Oh, you like, are? Yeah, I have um, three very kind steps, and they actually came into my life late. But um, I mean, we were adults when we all met, but we're quite close. I'm close with my two stepbrothers in particular. So, um, and also, like, I'm you know, the other thing, I'm not objecting. To, I wouldn't object to it, like a donor egg or adopting. You know, I think I I have a little. Adorable dog. She's actually in the car. She's in the car. Yeah, and all the windows um, are rolled up. Just kidding. No, oh, you could brought her phone. in here. Oh well, god, was, it was radiated crazy. Oh but god, you can meet her then. She's adorable. She's okay. six pounds. Yeah, 
But um, I think she's like a genius surgeon supermodel, like, and I'm not genetically related to her at all. So I have no doubt that we can bond deeply with people that we aren't. You oh, know, that's true. Related to whether, you know, if you're in a love relationship that you love. And- well, so for a love relationship now, having gone through everything you've gone through, facing mm-hmm. yourself, doing all these different kinds of well, stuff. we all and- do, right? I've just written about it, right? You've gone through I it. mean, but, yeah, but, are listening. but the, what, what you've gone through, doing all these different types of, uh, what would you call them? Modalities. Well, I was going to say modalities, yeah. Uh, I've done them too. It's not, it's not, not, not I don't want to say it's not normal, but it's like you're a searcher. I mm-hmm. refer to myself as a searcher. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know... So you've done all these things. Yeah. You've, what, what, what's important to you now? Because then I'm just going to copy you after you've done all these things. Well, I, <laughs> I think trust- the mo- for me, the most important thing has been having my professional life line up. I mean, I, was, I suppose I'm a creative type. I don't mean to sound pretentious to say that, but to actually have work that was meaningful to me that is offers my best intelligence, I guess, that I feel meant to do. And so being able to write a book and get it into the world in a way that I think can contrib- contribute positively to a conversation both about relationships and love and who it is we want to be and who it is we want to become has been probably the most important thing and I think some of that searching was a lot not being willing to step into my own voice about what it is that you know I wanted to do and so you're sort of talking around in circles saying why do I not feel quite right well a lot of it is that I wasn't it was okay to say hey I think I want to write write some stuff down I'm going to see what happens and instead you can have like all this anxiety and oh I'm feeling this that the other thing and once you felt like if someone had told me hey just figure out your art form a little earlier <laughs> I, I imagine I wouldn't have needed a bunch of that you know so for me it's spending a tremendous amount of time outside is a big one um, like I just took a great like 10 day trip in the Wind Rivers which is my favorite mountain range um uh, in Wyoming this summer and just working really hard, carrying fairly big packs. Like that's hugely important to me, like a band of women friends that I do that with, like having good community, as cheesy as that word can sound and overused. It is overused, isn't well, it? Yeah. I'm glad you said it. Then, then now it's cool if we say it. Yeah. Right now, we, <laughs> the we, cheesy overused word. Yeah. yeah. And um, like having work that makes me feel like I'm thriving and having worked through having pretty wonderful relationships in my family group. You know, and sort of feeling pretty resolved. Like if I died tomorrow, I feel on good terms in my family life. Like there's not something I feel like I haven't said or done. Or that funeral that you did, yeah, at the Hoffman Institute really, would be different now. Yeah, <laughs> right. Honestly, they wouldn't turn their back on you. Well, you go to a funeral of your both your parents, so whether they're alive or not, you know, you have that experience. Oh of, wait, what? So there are a bunch of different funerals for your parents, and then for yourself. And you imagine, do they act it out? They act it out. And do you ever speak at your own funeral or do other people speak at your funeral? Your you kind of, you speak to yourself. You speak to yourself but at they, your funeral? they do this part oh, that um, is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's like the most best funeral I've ever been to for, you, for, my, for your parents. 
But you could do that. You don't have to go to no, a I would program like to, to do that. You could just go have a rad funeral. You, I, so I could they dress in I'm, black. There were candles. I mean, it was like I'm at real. a funeral for my mother. I'm at a funeral for my father. And you speak at those funerals. Mm-hmm. And then you're at the funeral for yourself and other people but speak you're not for with, you. you're not having to like interact with other people. It's a very private experience. So there's someone actually like leading the kind of like a eulogy, but it's generalized enough and it feels real and it's in candlelight. And I, God, I hope... I, I, I think you're, you're not okay to talk about. You're not naming any names. You're just speaking in broad strokes. Yeah, hypothetically, but- at a program that I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, <laughs> I actually was a wonderful, I, you know, just trying to feel at peace. So it answer to your question, what's important to me now or how I've changed? I think finding meaningful work and self-expression that feels like you're adding to the world instead of being like, you know, a challenge to it is is... Like a huge gift. And, you know, I think more of us, the more happier we can be in what we do and how we add to the whole conversation, like, that's the only thing we can do. But this, this is it. Everything you just said right now is like, oh my God, that's the biggest takeaway for me because I've naturally been landing on that at the beginning of this year about all the self-help stuff because I felt like 2017, 2018 were these years of me just searching, whether it's like, yeah, plant medicine or... Reiki or yakety schmack, all these different things, just all this shit, hypnotherapy, blah, 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 all this stuff. Mm. And now I just feel like, okay, enough. I did the stuff. Like I read all the books. I'm still, I don't want to say I'm miserable or unhappy, but now I just want to get in the doing. It's like, that's another way for me to escape myself. Yeah. And now I'm just like, well, then write the movie you keep talking about, but you right. never do. Uh, stop being all wound up and like trying to go through Instagram or start a fight with your boyfriend to so you're in the fetal position because you're like fighting with your boyfriend, uh, and that's an excuse not to do your work. It's like I'm self sabotaging and and doing the self help stuff is just part of it. It's just me like not getting to me, you know. And so, and I bet if I just got in my work and I did the things that I say I want to do but don't do. Because I would I'm, think of it as I'd be happier with everybody. To me is to ask yourself to spend time. What makes you feel nourished? And that that's not a selfish thing to ask. Like that, if you feel nourished by it's like, for example, I don't have any problem with procrastination writing. I just don't. I actually well, you just, don't. Wait, you mean you no. don't procrastinate? Not writing. No. No. Well, I, and I'm not saying you can't. You're not. Gonna, no one's gonna be a writer if they don't have trouble procrastinating. That's just not my. I enjoy it. Like I enjoy, enjoy the rituals it. I go through. That I sit there, where I sit, where I pick, what I do. Like I know kind of how it works. Oh my no, god! But but, but it, that that took some work, you know, to figure out how to how to start. You just keep having to sit there. Yeah, I think you just have to sit down, not have any big expectations about it. Just sit down and pick your favorite place to sit. <sighs> and sit and write a sentence or two and or whatever your thing is. I mean, if for someone else it could be painting or someone else could be, you know, cold calling because they they love sales. Let's, you know. Well, let's crack the code of life for uh, of life for really, two right, really right Okay, so it's like, okay, so there's personal fulfillment, mm-hmm. like hopefully earning a living, whatever uh-huh. that means for you, doing something that you love uh-huh. doing, that you would do for free but brings you so much joy that is your right. calling that you're here to do that you do well that makes you happy when you do it. So there's that. And then uh, feeling loved by and loving mm-hmm. someone else and having mm-hmm. a, a best friend and somebody mm-hmm. you have nice, great sex with and, right. you know, who loves you and you love them. Right. So those, those to me are the two most important things in the entire yes. world. But I feel like for everything to go 
great, a relationship, whatever, your relationship with your family and your friends and all the stuff, it starts with the like putting yourself first, like putting your mask over your face when you're on an airplane and they say like put the mask on you before you put it over your baby because if you're not good you can't help right you can't never create any- a second victim you can't yeah. yeah you can't serve anyone else never create a second victim yeah, yeah. that's so, a rule of first aid so if i were to do what you do you know it's like uh, figure out what nourishes me get into the doing of these things that bring me joy so i mean you know i'll tell you i'll tell you the story wouldn't i be spiraling less about Yes. A, a relationship where there are no problems, where yes. the majority of everything is good, and isn't there always going to be something? This will make you feel better because it better. when I had the best time... Well, not that you're feeling bad now. But I am. Then, <laughs> no, you're fine. Okay. I can tell. Okay. Um, so when I went through this more recent breakup, it was... Turns out this guy was a bit of a charlatan, let's just say. The, and, the most recent? Uh, six-year one? You dated from six years or what? No, th- this guy's not in the book. Okay. But um, the one that I decided to boycott, um, the one I decided to boycott relationships after that, I it was I basically kind of got ghosted by somebody that I knew, and we were from the same community and same. So it wasn't like being ghosted on the internet. It was like someone that we were in the same circle. Are you kidding me? This just happened. Like dumped on a level like I'd never been kicked to the curb. Like truly, like a total dismissal in the worst possible way. Yeah, and I felt horrible and I knew Tylenol PM treated heartbreak so like I did my like three weeks of whatever Tylenol that's like safe on your kidneys like I took Tylenol PM and I had like not very much energy so this is a few years ago now like I had not very much energy I was really sad but I was like okay I can't control but I knew enough to not go grasping or do anything or try to go change that situation. So I didn't change and it was awful. And it ended like just like ripped out of a page. Like it was just terrible, terrible. And I thought, okay, I'm miserable. <laughs> like in terms of my, I'm heartbroken. I'm actually, I can feel that my heart is broken. And um, what do I actually have control over, you know? And um, I thought, okay, I have this book that I've been working on. I have control over finishing the book. I have control... Ooh. I control over like who I spend time with other than that. I have friends that I was pouring into this gentleman, you know, for however long, a long time. Where do I want to put, even if it's compromised energy, where do I want to put it? That was it. I just thought I'm not, I don't need to feel good. I don't need to feel better. I just have to take the energy I have and put it towards things that I have some control over. So I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this book. Like not feeling great. I'm going to hike a lot because that feels great. And I'm going to look after myself and I'm going to, if I've not been as good a friend because I was wasting time on, you know, Mr. Bottomless Well, you know, whatever guy, like who could I be a better friend to? Even if I just come a little bit compromised and a little bit beaten up in a way, you know? And all the best things happened to me. And it wasn't like the perfect picture at all. But I was putting my energy where... I I had control over it and I could make something better. Like I've got this great ending to the book that I loved. Like finally after working on it, I cut away certain friends that I'd been wasting sort of, you know, I they they just let certain relationships fall away that weren't working and I put more energy towards the wonderful friends that I'd had in my life for forever, forever. And then I sold a book and I got the most amazing agent in the world and I... You know, and it wasn't because everything had come together at all, you know. So I think it was just deciding 
I can do these things even though I'm compromised. And even with 50% of the energy that maybe I normally had, it, you know, it flowered because it was put in a place that it was sort of meant to be, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, and it just gets really, really simple. There's, there's just not as much to, I mean, it was complicated, right? You still have to complicate, right? This, that, that. You have to do this. You know, it's like sad. I can be lonely being like, oh, I'd love to be, you know, having sex right now and I'm not having sex right now. But I remember I had like, then I just helped a friend and catered a party for her, a book launch. And I got to be this little waitress for it because, um, and so I had this fun opportunity because I hadn't dated in so long to like go up and be like, hey, would you like a canapé or whatever, like serve yeah. these people. And um, I'd be like, yeah. And I, it was fun because it was like high speed dating, but not because I could talk to him a second and be like, no. Um, oh, you could get the vibe. Shut down emotionally, the- alcoholic, like narcissist, yeah! like this, that. So not into that. And then I'd be like, but thank you. And then just go away. And it, so it was fun because <laughs> I knew, I mean, it was, I was kind of sad because I was like, oh God, that's a little bit depressing, but it'll, maybe it'll sort itself out, but maybe <laughs> never. But that was fun because yeah. I had fun little hello and they were cute. I'm like, God, that guy's like a boozy cowboy. And that was, you know. But um, I think we think it all has to... (laughs) He really was. You know, he just looks like he's about to have a heart attack or he's just knocked back something. So the point of all is to say, I think I had this idea that your life sort of perfectly comes together in this... No. Mine came together while I was like, eh, I didn't even have to think good thoughts. Like, I don't even have to be positive. I was just like, no, I can work on my book and I can make sure I'm hiking and I can, you know... Do whatever thing. I didn't have a, a, a pup at the time and usually have a dog. And and um, I made new friends that were more organic to what I was working on at the time. My yeah. relationships became more interesting. Mm. You know, it's just, it's my like little like cautionary tale, like opposite of a cautionary tale for, it doesn't all need to be like a magic for like the best things to happen to you, honestly. So oh, it's not that. like you need to get to some clear space to like write your screenplay or whatever it is. You just get to start and try to do it in a way that like where feels the best. Yeah. Like I like to write at the public library or I like to write, you know, hold up in this one, you know, my bedroom in this, you know, loft or whatever, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I've, I've been putting all my energy in the wrong places. What? They're the wrong places. Well, they could be better places. I know. I'm so inspired. Well, just honestly, where does it feel good? Yeah. No, That's I love it. this. I love this. Where does it feel good? Do you still say that prayer where you're like, uh, what is it? Peace. May my, it's a Buddhist prayer or something or? Maybe peaceful, maybe happy, maybe safe, maybe free. That's like the classic loving kindness practice. Yeah. You do? Uh-huh. And that's helpful? Yeah, I, I, that one is more... And then you can just boil it down to just happy. You can pick any four words you want. I mean, it has a nice rhythm to it. Happy, peaceful, safe, free. And you wish it... The, the classic exercise is at first you say it to yourself. Then you say it and you picture someone you love. It could be a dog. It could be a parakeet. It could be a human being, your mother. Um, then you say it to a neutral person. No, you not saying it to them, to yourself. You're picturing them in your mind's eye. Yeah. Then you say it to a neutral person. Like the person you met at the grocery store that you have no attachment to. And then you do a difficult person yeah, for a difficult person. And then you do it for all, all beings. But um, that's not like why I, f- you know, I feel better because I feel more lined up. There's just less static when you kind of just figure out, oh, this actually feels good to do this. Yeah. I'm and you do static. a little bit more of that, like in the same way, you know, like, this tastes good when you eat it. Yeah. But in that nourishing way, not in that junk food way, like not the stopgap. 
But even still, I mean, through that thing, I was still like, I write, I, you know, I've slept a ton with my computer. You know, like I was in, in Nicaragua, was it last Christmas? And the group I was with, we got burglarized. They came in and stole like oh, no. all the computers and cameras and stuff. But because I sleep with my computer, that was, I was the only one. I literally sleep with my computer. You do? Yeah. So I <laughs> was like practically on top of it. Oh my God. Mine was the only computer that wasn't. So I'm not recommending all parts of it. Like, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't like this perfect romantic thing, you know? What do you still do to this day? Do you meditate every day? Like what are the things that stay with you that, that help you get through a day, a week, a month? I still... Your rituals. Um, I try to meditate and exercise regularly. I do not always. Sometimes, what kind of meditation? Um, Vipassana. What does that mean? It's uh, it's called insight meditation. Basically, you just watch your breath. And um, eyes closed, eyes open. I, eyes closed. The Vipassana is eyes closed. The Tibetan is eyes open. Doesn't. Really, I mean, I don't think it really matters. I think it's whichever one works for you. Twenty minutes a day. Forty minutes a day. Anything. I think about for me and the nice. A nice sweet spot is 20 when I've got a lot going on, even though I think best is probably 45, regardless of what you don't want. And then working out, um, either hiking or I'm a big fan of the Tracy Anderson method. Oh, yeah? Uh How glamorous. I love that you're like... I know. I make make no sense. You have such a kooky life and then you're like, Tracy Anderson method. (laughs) Okay, Gwyneth Paltrow. You can do it in a year. I bet you can't. I know I have the DVDs. I may may have gotten rid of them. I don't know. I may have sold them. You can stream her. Oh, you can? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And the workout changes every week. Oh, wow. Um, And... For free? Can you stream her for free? No, it's not for free, but it's pretty affordable on a monthly rate relative to... um, you know, a regular gym membership. Yeah. And the class is quite changed. Um, the regular water fasting I'm a big fan of. I've gone to the same acupuncturist as one of my old teachers in Boulder. You can't just Colorado. do it on yourself? You wouldn't do it on yourself. It's hard, hard to reach places. Aid. Like I broke my nose surfing once and I Oof. I was thought I was going to pass out. So I was like busy needling myself for nausea. Yeah. It's like in a first date thing you could, but you can't really. Yeah. I mean, you really have to feel your own pulses and stuff. But like to keep yourself from barfing or something, you could probably help. But yeah. Um, and... Um, What's the other one I I tend to rely on? Um, five element and and a and a, and occasionally I go to kind of more traditional therapy, like talk therapy, the Hakomi style therapy that I said I was sort of biased toward for me, just yeah. for me, yeah. What's but partly because I don't, you know, I've known the person a long time, and I think I mean I think there's so many not so great therapists out there. I think getting yeah. one that you really trust that's very 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 good. Like if you find one of those that you feel like Stick is high quality, I'd rather than go through like meeting some new person all over again that yeah. you know may or may not you know speak to you. Do you drink? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm better if I don't at all. Really, I yeah. gotta say, I notice I've gotten more sensitive. Like if I drink, I can feel that like. Someone just told me recently that tequila and gin are the only ones that aren't a depressant. Have you ever heard that? I have because they said they make tequila with agave. Is that... But I don't think that's what... No, I don't think they... You mean with the cact that somehow that's not a depressant? Somehow because... Yeah, but I've heard that about tequila and I'm like, oh, maybe I should just only drink tequila because I haven't been drinking all of January and Mm -hmm. I'm going to start in February. I'm excited to be able to... And I'm just like, I'm... So excited to start drinking, and all I want to do is drink a margarita. Right, that's my. But I've realized partly that's because I like the little bit of a tart. Oh, that's why the, I like that. Like that, oh, that kombucha is a little bit. 
tart. Yeah. And my margarita's a little bit sweet and tart. Well, I went to a bridal shower thing and I was just, I got a virgin margarita and I had that tart, you know, it's, it's a nice mixer. Though. It's so nice, but uh, yeah, I can't wait to just numb myself a bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you can feel those like, like endorphins come or whatever as soon as you drink a little bit. But I find I can feel that little bit, even not without much alcohol, that little bit of melancholy. The darkness rolls even in. Even a little bit. Yes. Yeah, I know. Oh, so God. I think in general, I... It's always best not it's to. It's better but not to, even though... But, you know, so I li- I've lived in New York a lot, and it's that one thing, like, especially there, more than here, because everybody meets plans, and they'll meet people at drinks, yes. and then dinner. I know. Which means if you're doing both those things, that's exceeds the amount of alcohol that I'm comfortable oh. knowing from... You know what I mean? That's a lot. Like, so, so if you have one... Even that's two, that's a Two that's with a the lot. thing, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't have bubbly water, but then it feels like it's not as... Exciting. ...festive for you're, some reason. And then people get weird if you don't drink with them, too, sometimes. So that's their stuff, but they're well, like... So one of the things they teach at the water fasting place, free to say, which is cool, but they, it would be a little weird if you said this about drinking, but like if you're doing some weird food experiment... Because if you do it, if you're doing anything weird about food, then people get triggered that they should be doing some weird about food. Like even if you're not being instructive, but you say I'm a whatever Vegan. or I'm doing this. Yeah, I've never been one to say those things. I know that could be like just polarizing. Whatever I'm doing, try to just keep to myself. Yeah. But if you have to say, they say, oh, this is just this thing I'm I'm trying out right now. I'm not sure. And you just say, even if you're so sure, yeah. and you've been doing it for ten years. Yeah. I think if you just say it's just something I'm experimenting with, I don't know to the end of the month. Then people can be like, oh, they're just doing it. They, they don't feel instructed to yes. do as you do. That's what I've been know? doing this month where I go, oh, dry January, so boring. And then they're <laughs> like, oh, no worries. Like, you can get through it. Like, then it's just this casual, like, oh, dry January. Right. Like, it's not, it's it frames, not confrontation. Yeah. It's like you're not judging them for drinking. Right. And like, and yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, God. Isn't that true, though? It is true. Yeah. But it is nice, that little feeling. Or especially also like just Being traveling tipsy. alone. I just think not having cocktails when alone is generally a good Yeah, be careful thumb. out there. It's no, terrifying. Saying, like if you're on a plane or whatever, you know, like you're still alone. Do you really, do I really need a glass? No. No. Yeah. God. So, but those are my, I guess those are my main. Well, I love to be rolfed. I could be rolfed every day. I've never been rolfed. Oh my God. What is rolfing exactly? It's just like grinding into the it's, ground. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Yeah. First of all, it's a woman's last name. Oh yeah. Ida Rolf. I believe she went to my college. In fact, you should so get a discount. Like a I know she's, de- she's dead, but <laughs> she's quite dead. I want the discount. Okay, it's myofascial. Like they don't use they use pressure, direction, and attention, and they sort of help try to restructure your fascia and loosen it. So like it, it really radically can change your posture and also those your emotional holding patterns or whatever. Not yours, but well, no, they're in me. But it feels like. They're um, moving shit around and like releasing uh, releasing trauma or crazy. Well, it, it can be emotional. I mean, I definitely when I got roffed, it was emotional. But now it just feels like, um, well, some of these things like the way you hold your body, it's because you have scar tissue there that's kind of keeping you there. So like God. when it gets loosened, it's like someone opened like oh a bird cage, and your sort of heart can kind of open up. Or, I did this know? thing. I don't know if it was when I started my relationship, I've been in my relationship for about a year or whatever, who cares? But it was like maybe right before it, I was doing lots of hot yoga. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember doing this like, I think it was during the relationship. I I did some heart opening exercise where I put like a wooden box underneath my back. And, mm-hmm. I know, doesn't that feel good? And I burst into tears. Yeah. yeah. I wept. It like opened me up, but then I, I just burst into tears and I was shocked. Like I couldn't believe it. I think I had wept 
at a yoga class right before meeting my boyfriend as well because I was just whatever doing all the self help stuff. But uh, I like this sentence in your book. I underlined it. I was like, it says, uh, Denise and I do what we do frequently: examine our relationships as if the men in our lives are mere case studies rather than actual human beings. And uh, we analyze our men, dissect them, hoping to make sense of this life stuff, this love stuff, never realizing that this too can take us further from our partners, turning them into objects. Yeah, that's what I do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, so I try to not, I don't... You I don't like I to analyze don't, anymore? I don't like that. And not treating people like they're case studies. That's how and my boyfriend feels. And violating the couplehood, like really where there's a way that you... It is more for between men, women and women than men, I think, that will say anything about the most private thing. And I do think there's something nice about building something sacred that's just between you and that other person so that it's not like... It's really important for me to really explain this to you, girlfriends. So I'm going to tell you absolutely everything. And yeah. I think there's something nice about just having something just for the two of you. Yeah. You know? I think my boyfriend does this. He keeps everything to himself. He's like, no, it's he doesn't. He might just actually be the Buddha. And I'm like going trying to do all the classes and all the, you know, whatever the word is again. What is it again? Which? The things which that word? we do. Differentiation? The, what? Uh, High desire, low desire partner? No, no, no. Modalities. I'm oh. like trying to experience all the different self-help, all the modalities. And he's just like, I just want to be calm and relaxed. If you're relaxed, I'm relaxed. Right. I'm not going to cheat. I'm like, he's like committed and loyal and calm. He's like this. He doesn't like anxiety. He's just like. He doesn't like anxiety. Does anyone like no, anxiety? No, no. But he just—he's just like. It's, but it's all very simple. <laughs> I but just love anxiety. I just love anxiety. But I mean, <laughs> but I'm just like I want to talk about everything, dissect all this stuff, and blah blah. And one time I, I said to him, I'm like, and I do have to wrap it. We're gonna. This will be the longest podcast I've done in such a long time. I was like, it'll be an hour and a half, but now it's gonna be like nearly three hours or something. But uh, I tried to say to him one time, I went. You don't understand, you know, this is this is great. We're like mirrors for one another. Like you're a mirror for me to, you mm-hmm. know, I can see myself in your eyes and and what comes up and I'm learning about myself in this relationship. Uh-huh. And he went, that's all I am to you, a mirror. Like right. I'm just not even a human being, I'm just a mirror for you. And right. I was like, I was like, oh, he doesn't get it. But maybe he does get it because he does feel like a case study, I think, sometimes. And he just wants to be calm and relaxed and he's never given me any reason to doubt him or everything his friends say about him. He's just a good normal, respectable guy living his life. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I'm trying to. Because when I'm happy, I'm so happy. And when I'm not, I'm so not. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, if anybody's, if he's really in himself, it's not going to rattle him where you're at either. So he's rattled. Well, there, there, that's his little growing edge. Don't you love that phrase? That's your growing edge. That's his growing edge. Really? But isn't it only fair that if somebody like... No, if you're really stable, like in yourself, he can say, hey, sweetheart, I love you. And that's, I'm not saying him. I'm not boyfriend giving you advice. I'm not. I'm not telling him he's doing anything wrong. I'm just saying it goes both ways. That if someone is is fine, whether you're going bouncing off the walls or not bouncing off the walls, you you know, you can be like, hey, are you coming down anytime soon from that wall bounce? You know, am I going to see you back here or not? And then you say, no, I'm going to be up here for about half you know, half more day going completely nuts. He'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this other thing. Like, yeah. it doesn't mean just because you're like that, it needs to... Every Each of us is responsible for our own deal. Yeah. So it's up to any person who's with you, if you're having a moment, to decide how they feel about it, too. You're not responsible for what he does about it, you know? I mean, you, you don't like to keep your side of the street 
clean, really. My side of the street's filthy, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to go clean it up now. <laughs> oh, God. Um, we do got to land this plane, though. Um, what else do I need to know? Are there any, you know... About what? What else? You about your know? book? About like anything that you really wanted to make sure that people uh, know about the book, and any just like um, it's a addictive, like beautiful book. That the reason why I wrote it is I wrote it to have readers, you know, to enjoy it. So yeah. I hope that people enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it, because mm-hmm. I really think um, we're more like than sometimes we think. And that just because I've had some like extreme examples, like you can take comfort in that, knowing that somebody else's life has been a little smoother or feel like you have a fellow traveler who's, you know, been some places that maybe someone's been uncomfortable to say they've been or are in or are stuck. I mean, it really is called the book of help, like meant to be a nourishing present. I wrote it like a present. Yeah. No, I mean... This is the right podcast for you to be on because uh, all of my listeners, I mean, this is right up their alley. This is like, if you like this podcast, if you like the Love Alexi podcast, you're going to love this book. And read it in order. Read it in order. Okay. Yeah. You hear that, you jerks? (laughs) (laughs) Read it it in order. No, because people can think because it has such short chapters and the structure of it that it's like a perfect, and you can jump around and there's no harm in it, but it really has a lovely arc to it that you kind of will most enjoy, like yeah. a ride, like a roller coaster yeah. ride. If you start with a click, 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 you go up the top, uh, there's some suspense in it and stuff, and then just ride it out yeah. and sort of have... So it's. I didn't mean that in a... No, I love it. I know, I love it. It's meant to be read at a particular order, and I hope that um, it's enjoyed in the same way it was written. No, I'm obsessed about it. I, 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 this is perfect for me. This makes me feel... So less alone. <laughs> you can read one of the quotes you like best on the back. Those are nice words from the Elizabeth cool Gilbert, who uh, wrote the she uh, wrote uh, Big Magic and Eat, Pray, Love. She wrote in a world full of spiritual seekers, Megan Griswold is an undisputed all star. She has spent her life examining her existence in patient, courageous, and microscopic detail, and now she has written about her search with tender and comic honesty. What a delightful journey! Eat, Pray, Love is a movie I've seen over and over again. And I, uh, yeah, you're on the right podcast. This is great. <laughs> um, the book is called The Book of Help, A Memoir in Remedies. And uh, the author is Megan Griswold. And thank you for being on the Lexi podcast. If people are, I'm going to be everywhere in the world. So whatever city you can look up on my website if I'm coming your way. Because they're fun, interactive, lots of Q&A, whether a person's interested in writing and talking about the craft of it yeah. or things in the book. Um, I'm just a big believer in keeping us reading actual books Yeah, in this highly digital universe. Um, and it's Instagrammy world. Don't be scared. But now that I have your, your number, oh, yeah. now, now I can text you, uh, yeah. you know, relationship spirals, uh, whenever I want. I used to have a, <laughs> I used to have a, I, I have ghost written for a lot of friends. Oh really? Yeah. For, Sorry, I've sort of figured out when I like helped some friend, you know, deal with some uh, married breakup man thing. At some point, I was like, "Oh, we, I've had, I've written this before. Let me write this for you." Anyway, I sort of have ghost written for a lot of personal problems. I like to do like 
Oh, really? Like texts and stuff? People too. Mm-hmm. Well, I might just be like, what does this mean? Should I be... Ups- <laughs> my, my big thing is I always like to ask friends, should I be upset about this? And then it's usually my mom being like, no. so what? <laughs> Who cares? You are acting crazy. And my mom's <laughs> like, I, I love Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you like Abraham Hicks. Do you like Abraham Hicks? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very into her or whatever you... Uh, anyway, but... uh, Yeah. Anyway, my mom's just always, she's, she's all ethereal and dreamy and like a hippie and all this stuff. But, but she will tell me, she's like, who cares? You're being a monster. You got to stop. Cut it out. He's great. He loves you. Everything's fine. Like she was, I'm just worried about you. You're suffering so much. Just like there is no problem, Mm -hmm. but I can find a problem out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the podcast. Just wandered into your beautiful space and um, the rain is let up. The rain is let up. You were you're free to go, Megan. <laughs> oh my God. It's a real pleasure. It's a pleasure for me too. Thank you. And bye. <laughs>